Welcome to the Screamcast, episode 112. I am Sean Drager, and with me is Brad Henderson. Hey. Goddamn, you the goddamn yawns. This is what happens <laughs> when we record the morning. Also joining us, BJ Calangelo. Good morning, boys. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, today, Brad and I uh, are going to be talking to John Kassir, uh, the Crypt Keeper. So we'll be playing that interview later on. Um, if none of you, neither of you, I should say, there's only two of you. If neither of you asked him about Reefer Madness, the musical, you're dead to me. We didn't. Sorry. Oh, uh, you're think dead to me. It. And we had a fan ask, uh, mention that. Um, <laughs> he did. But we didn't see it till later. I didn't see any responses till after <laughs> the interview. And I was like, oh. like, if you oh, knew how yes. nervous we were during the recording of this, <laughs> like, yeah. it's it's tough. Like, you know, because, you know, he he's now that's somebody that's been around since I was, you know, yeah, I, it's one of the very first things I can remember. And one of the very first names I remembered, um, you know, from from the Crypt Keeper, seeing that name pop up. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I was just trying to hold my shit together. I said much. titties out loud in the show. <laughs> Wait till you hear that, people. Mm-hmm. It worked, but it my God. Yep. <laughs> I so, was like, "Wait a second! Why the fuck did I just yell out titties?" <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so let me play that for you in, uh, in, in a little bit here. Uh, John Cassier is also the voice of Elliot in the new Pete's Dragon movie. So we'll be talking a little bit about. The new Pete's Dragon, which I need to go out this weekend and see, or this week, or whatever. I need to get out and take the kids to it because I hear it's I hear it's wonderful. So the weekend's almost over, so you need to do it today. I got to figure it out. So <laughs> get your shit together. I know, Jesus, God, Sean. Um, but today, as we're recording, it's my wife and I's uh, twelve-year anniversary. So I doubt oh. I'm taking her to Pete's Dragon. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Happy Thanks. anniversary, Sean. Heck yeah. So funny story about anniversary, oh. since we always get personal every once in a while. My mom did this like big thing for my uh for my aunt and uncle one year when they were down here. Uh they're from Ohio. They came down to visit in Florida. So we had like a anniversary party. So my mom made like all this shit, you know, all this food and like just a really nice like little get together for the family. She had this big poster. And my mom's like super smart, like, you know, straight A student, like she's one of the smartest people I know. She's really good at spelling. But on that poster, she put happy Annaberry. <laughs> <laughs> so we got so used to saying that when I was little that every time I say it, like I almost say Annaberry to people without God, thinking. Hilarious. Uh, so I almost said happy Annaberry by accident. Uh, but anyways, nice. yeah, it was, so we, it's a family thing. We always say happy anniversary. No, it's, it's good stuff. That's we went great. out to the, we went out to the like, wineries last night and, uh, had some drinks and everything. It was fantastic. You a little drunk, Sean? You a little hungover? Uh, no, no, no. Not that no. much. I still have to drive, so I'm not, you know, got her drunk though. You know yeah. Oh, Heck yeah. This is getting a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, before we, Drop off a cliff here. Um, yeah, we let's do that. Jump into, we do that uh, often. Let's jump into what's on our doorstep. Holy cow. I almost forgot. We'll get the door. Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> All right, BJ, what do you got? Uh, 
So. <laughs> wow, okay. Shit. Um, that means you watched stuff off Netflix, didn't you? Oh, I that's sure the, did. That's the Netflix talk. Um, so the one good thing that I started because of Netflix is uh, they recently put on Final Destination 3. It's the oh. only one of the Final Destination films available on Netflix currently, oh. but I own all of them, so it's not like it matters. A series so underrated. That's Sounds what I four. came here. That well, yeah, that's what I came here to say today. <laughs> is I'm watching Final Destination three, which I probably haven't watched in a good like five years. It's so good. One, the deaths are just fantastic. I forgot like how effective all of them are in this movie, but <laughs> I don't know if they just decided, you know what, every shot we learned in film school, we're just going to throw in this movie because there is a split diopter shot. And then five seconds later is the perfect match cut of the burning tanning beds immediately into the matching coffins. Like, Oh, it's beautiful. It's my, one of my favorite. I always, I keep that every once in a while. I'm like, this is the best transition. It's like in horror. Like it's, it's beautiful. And dude, playing roller coaster, Love roller coaster during that whole sequence while they're fucking burning. It's oh great. my god, it's it so goosebumps. fucking good. And this is like the start of the Mary Elizabeth Winstead like big eyed cry face that she's become known oh, for. Nice. She's she's so good in this movie. She's so pretty. But I decided that because Final Destination, I mean, Scream was definitely part of my growing up and. I, I know I've talked all the time about how Saw affected me like as a horror fan, that being like my franchise. But Final Destination is also one of those franchises because it premiered when I was old enough to actively seek it out on my own and not have to have it presented to me by like my parents or somebody older or whatever. Like I discovered that with my friends. And that series as a whole is, I think, just so much fucking fun. And I don't understand people who can't enjoy that or let themselves enjoy it. Like, it's mainstream schlock, and we don't get that very often. And not only that, but they're just creative, and they're fun, and they're funny. And they try to do something new each time, in a way. Right. And like, and that's what I enjoyed about it. And the difference between like Final Destination and Saw is that while they both have very nasty ways of killing people and very unique ways of killing people saw has like such a mean spirit behind it and final destination it's like they're they're having fun with it i mean because you want to see them yeah right you know and the gymnastics death in final destination five is so effective (sighs) that oh god like i was watching it and i knew exactly how it was going to happen what was going to go down but the buildup that they have to a lot of these kills where it's like this total misdirection where you think this is what's going to happen and then it just doesn't mm-hmm. is so, so well crafted. And I think that more people need to rewatch these films and gain a new appreciation for them. Like we remember the kills, we remember all of that fun stuff, but we, we forget also that the first found destination has, you know, that drop dead hit by a bus death which now gets used all the goddamn time <laughs> in other films. And it's like, there you go. Like, that's that's where it came from. I mean, it's been done before, but that's what put it into right. the yeah. public yeah. eye. So rewatch that. Um, highly recommend it. Do it again. It's great. I, lo- I love I love those films. I think two's, yeah. my, two's my favorite, I think. Um, I think it goes for me. It goes one, two, five, three, then four. 
Yep, that's exactly how I rank them too. But but as a whole, I I mean I I I've recently uh, it's been a few years, but I watched when I think when five came out, I watched all of them. Um, yeah, fun franchise for sure. Yeah, yeah it's and it's so much fun. The Olympics, man. Final Destination shit's been going on there. Dude, right? With the weightlifter like, and then the gymnast guy. I'm like, they yeah. lived, but Jesus Christ. When, the, when I saw the gymnast guy's leg, like, that was my first thought was, I was like, Final Destination's just a movie, y'all. Like, calm down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, that weightlifter. Um, I, didn't, I didn't see the video of that, but that oh, I, don't the do video it. was enough for me. I don't, oh my God. It, I don't know. Yeah, it makes me, uh, oh God. <laughs> it was awful. Let's just say bones go pop. Through the elbow. <laughs> In a way they aren't supposed to. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, rewatch Final Destination. Great thing. Um, the deep uh, Netflix eye. I checked out Rebirth. Rebirth. Um, it is a Netflix original starring, uh, God, what is the actor's name? Who's in a lot of Joss Whedon movies. Uh, he plays the stoner in Cabin in the Woods. Oh, I I know who you're talking about. I don't know the name. I don't remember your name. I'm sorry. I'm an asshole. (laughs) So he's the lead in it. He's like listening to the show and he's like, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he's he's the lead and it's basically uh, this one friend is convincing him like, you work too hard. We need to, you know, take you to this retreat called Rebirth and you're going to find yourself and life's going to be all better again. And it feels like Netflix made this movie forgetting that the game already exists <laughs> because that's 1000% what it is. It's like, hey, we're going to fuck with you psychologically and like make you think your entire life is ruined. And then surprise, now your life is better and everything's cool. But then it ends up being like, <sighs> fuck well, it, I'll spoil the end. They I'll spoil the end. I don't the, care. They couldn't it's... title it the game as a remake, so they had to change the name, so. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like, and I don't give a shit. I'll spoil the ending. The ending is that like now this dude is a spokesperson for this fucking pyramid scheme retreat. <laughs> so like you follow him through this whole thing where he's, you know, getting his life ruined. They're telling him horrible things. They're trying to make him like do weird sex acts to like find himself. And it's just this stupid thing of a guy for two hours being like, let me out. I don't want to be here. And them being like, no, you can't. We have to help you. And then by the end of it, he's like selling infomercials with his wife about why it's the best thing in the world. I was like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> like, it would be as if you're watching the game and then Michael Douglas at the end is like standing there chummy with Sean Penn being like, this was the, the game is the best thing that could happen. I recommend it for everyone. Give me fifty nine ninety nine. Like, What? It was nice. really, really shitty, and I was really unhappy with it, especially because Pat Healy shows up in it, and he's great. He's the only person who's adding some truth to this. Everybody else feels like, meh, we're in a shitty remake of the game. <laughs> Whereas Pat Healy's like, I'm going to add depth to this character. And I'm like, ah, I hope they paid you well, because you are so much better than this shit movie. Um, Fran so Franz, by the way. Thank you, Fran Cr- Fran Kranz. Fran Kranz. Who's who's the director on it? I don't fucking know. It's a Netflix original. That doesn't mean it's not anybody. <laughs> it's just, I know just that. Just some fucking Netflix original. But I'm just saying that's <laughs> what that's why it's like. Uh, Carl Mueller. Up. I don't know who that is. Yeah. He, did he do anything else? He did. Uh, Mr. Jones. <laughs> 
<laughs> the movie that ripped uh, off uh, the Trick or Treat cover art. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, Mr. Jones is like one of those movies with so much fucking potential, but just doesn't do it. And he wrote The Divide. Oh, he likes rape. Oof. That movie is super rapey. Well, has a weird has a weird rape scene. Very yes. like I guess all scenes are weird. <laughs> I, guess rape it, I don't know if there's a but good that one's that one's a good one. Lo- is there a good rapes now? <laughs> um, but no, it's like that movie is just so <laughs> ah man. That movie makes you feel gross. Like in general, aside from the 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 rape scene, but man, that movie is just it's like. It's like you're guessing. It's like, oh man, if everybody could just go crazy and do what they want because there's no repercussions, this would happen. And everybody just does exactly that. It's like, come on. Are there that many? Like, I realize there's a lot of shitty human beings in the world. But is there right. that many shitty human beings in this movie? Like, well, it depends where you are, Florida. It doesn't <laughs> Florida, happen man. in Florida. <laughs> does it happen in Florida? Then it's, if that's the Flo- case, no, it's pretty saying, accurate. It's just a Florida joke. <laughs> No, it's probably accurate. You're right. I'm sorry. The divide's great. <laughs> Thumbs up for the divide. Yeah. So that was uh, not not something that I would recommend. I mean, if you really want to watch a shitty remake of the game, that's pretending it's not the game. Knock yourself out. <laughs> um, so I watched that. I watched. Uh, they were watching, or they are watching. Ah, oh, man, that movie has so much potential, too. Right. It started off, and I was like, I'm sold. This is a really weird way to start a movie. And so, for those who haven't seen it, it's it's one of my favorite ways to introduce something as being found footage, in that it's like a house hunters show, or like a flip that house show, where this woman has purchased a house that's kind of, like, known to be haunted or you know, there was like cult activity, witch activity going on there. And she bought this house anyway. And it's the video crew from the, like the flip my house show returning six months later to do like the checkup of like, well, let's see what's changed since she bought the <laughs> shitty house. That's a really good idea to me. It's not a really good movie. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of paint by numbers and not in a good way. Um, did you ever see delivery? No. Is it a better idea? Well, they do like, it reminds, cause delivery was the first time that I saw something like it literally starts out like a TV show, like with the, you know, like the title across who people are talking about the goofy ass music, you know? And it's like, it was a pregnancy thing. It's like, Oh, we're trying to get pregnant. And now it's supposed to, the TV show is supposed to follow them during like during the birth like the last like month uh, up until the birth and then it hmm. all goes fucking crazy well they they are watching kind of did the same thing where it's like starts off like a, a like a TV show like you're watching it on on the e network or some shit in the 90s it has like the goofy titles the goofy music and then it gets serious delivery kind of does the exact same thing they did it first i claim that those people definitely saw delivery and took that idea. Cause I don't know. That was pretty unique. Delivery's not great. It's got some cool moments, but, um, you know, I'll still check that out though. It reminded me of that. Yeah. It just, I like, I thought the ending was fun. It was just really goofy. Yeah. And I think that it was more goofy than it was movie for me. 
Um, so I just, I, I couldn't get into it. And I wanted to because they had me hooked at the opening, which in all the reviews I've read, everyone's like, I gave up. That opening was stupid. I was like, no, that opening's really funny. Like, I, I'm a big fan of this. And then it just didn't didn't hold up or follow through for anything that I thought it would. So not not so hot on it. Um, I had already seen this next one, and I think we've maybe talked about it, but I don't think that I ever talked about it. Um, I finally saw Holidays. Mm, yeah, I uh, talked about it. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Thank you. And like, the, I feel like I'm the only one right now that thinks these horror anthologies are just really fucking tedious and just not very good. Well, well finally, the problem we're, we're handling the problem them correctly, it. but it's like they're not good stories. Well, because that's the problem is. I understand that there's no money to make new films right now. I fucking completely understand that finding financing is harder than it ever was before because piracy, whatnot. I get that. So doing an anthology is a smart way for new directors or up and coming directors or established directors for that matter to be able to do creative work that isn't completely dictated by producers, by, you know, what the fuck ever. I, I get that. The problem is that we've become so saturated with horror anthologies that everyone is just like trying to do something weird and different for the sake of doing something weird and different because there's just so many that are out there. So holidays, I think is, I can't even call it a mixed bag because it's not a mixed bag. It's like, there's one that is carrying the entire goddamn bag. And everything else is like rattled to the bottom of this which, shitty which ass one, bag. Which one did you enjoy? Because I didn't like any of them, like all, like fully. But there was one that I thought was amazing, but the ending ruined it for me. I liked Father's Day a lot. That's the one with the woman that gets the tape. Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. Aside from that ending. Yep. Because one, it's Jocelyn Donahue, who I think is the most underutilized tool in the genre right now. Cause she's incredible. Um, like that one alone was like, okay, yeah, I'm not upset that I sat through this entire film because that was a right. stand up piece. Yeah. I didn't dislike St. Patrick's day. I thought that it was interesting. I thought it was very like wicker manny. It just dragged really long. Like it should have been like two minutes shorter and it would have been perfect. Valentine's day was a super disappointment for me because I love Starry Eyes so much and I love those guys and I think that they're very talented, but it feels like they didn't want to do something unique. They were like, hey, we're just going to pay homage to all of the like mean teen girl movies. Like, it, like it, It's one thing when you make your references and they're subtle or they're not winking at the camera a la Stranger Things, which I'll get to. But this definitely, like, Valentine's Day felt like, hey, do you remember when the girl wears the hat and Carrie? Well, here it is. And it's like, <laughs> I fucking got it. Like, you didn't need to do that. Um, so that that kind of set me off. And then the Kevin Smith Halloween one, all it did was make me feel justified about the time I was doxxed because I said that I didn't like Tusk. Like, fuck all of you. He sucks. <laughs> He's a fluke. He's not good at what he does. 
and this short film is proof because it's fucking terrible. It is the worst short film that I've seen in probably 10 years. It, it's abysmal. And the fact that anyone let him do this or told him this was a good idea or told him that, yeah, go for this. Let's not make changes at all. You're all a bunch of idiots and should lose your job because it's awful. <laughs> it's so bad. It's insulting. But yeah, the whole time watching that one, I was like, huh, okay. Yeah, I'm fine. People, people can dox me and call my parents and say, awful things because I say I don't like a Kevin Smith movie and right now I don't feel bad really at all. that many at this point say that his movies are amazing? I mean, I, I I liked Tusk for what it was, but I mean, the last good movie I thought Kevin Smith did was Red State and I think I was hoping he would do more of that, but he, he just hasn't. Now nope, just- it's just progressively gotten weirder and dumber, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I... Oh man, I was. I mean, you know, more real upset. him for for doing what he wants to do and not caring what anybody thinks. You know, other yeah. than he blocked me on Twitter because I gave him shit one time. But yeah, other than oh, that, he's really mature. Um, um, and then like a lot of people I know didn't like the Mother's Day segment, but it's that's very much Sarah Adina Smith's kind of style. Like I watched that and I was like, yeah, that's that's a movie she would make. Um, so it didn't you know bother me. Um, so yeah, holidays. Um, I have two more. The last one is Stranger Things, which I know you wanted to talk about. So we'll we'll hold that. Yeah, we could do that. (laughs) Um, but the last movie that I watched, and this is going to be a call to arms for people to help me figure out what the hell it's called, because I watched it on Netflix. I really liked it. And now I can't find it. Like, I don't, I don't know if it got taken down. It's not in my, my watching history. Is that your um, watch history? No, I checked it and it's like not there. That's and I'm like, like I phantom watched level this movie, shit right there. Right? I don't know. <laughs> it glitched out and it's lost forever. Um, so it's a movie about a guy who, in his mind, has accidentally killed his wife. And he is now in like this sort of limbo world where people who have killed other people all go to before they go to like the afterlife. So it's like their version of limbo, but it's like a therapy where it's like all these people are like, so why did you kill your parents? Why did you kill your husband? Why did you kill whoever? And part of that therapy is that every day they go into these rooms and they basically have to live out them murdering their person over and over and over and over again. Cruel and unusual. Thank you for the love of God. (laughs) Um, <laughs> the things you find when you just type guy kills wife Netflix movie. <laughs> yes, that's what it is. Cruel and unusual. Thank okay. you. It's been bothering me for days. I haven't seen uh, it. Okay. So first of all, like the, the concept itself, I think is very, very interesting in that it's how do you figure out why you did such a bad thing, make you relive it over and over again. And it's really fucked because like one of the guys that's in this therapy session is a guy who used to be like a horrible alcoholic and to get back at his wife, he drowned his children. So now he's, you know, been in this world where he's not drinking. He's, he's dead. And every day he has to go into a room that takes him to a Creek and he has to drown his children over and over again. And it's like, that is so heart wrenching and terrible and like fucked. But, um, it plays with some really cool, elements as far as like how we recognize our mortality um how 
the little tiny things that we do in our lives have like the butterfly effect of, you know, these great big things. Um, but then it also has like this weird otherworldly thing because all of the, like the teachers and like the therapy leaders in this are talking heads on like a really old television, like a big butt television. It's just like these angry looking people yelling at you and asking you like, why did you do this kind of thing? Um, but it's really, really cool. And I really enjoyed it a lot. And I would love to see more stories in that world. It's one of those movies that I don't think lends itself to like a direct sequel, but I think could lend itself to like, like similar to like the purge where you can tell all of these different stories based on this one idea. I think this film has maybe the guy that made rebirth can do it. Oh God. (laughs) Gross. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really liked it a lot. I think that it's, it's pretty heavy at some moments. Like one of the, one of the kids in the therapy session is like a teenager who killed his parents feels no remorse about it. So that's when you get like the wide range of people that did this horrible thing and are now spending the rest of eternity paying for it. And then there's people who are like, Oh yeah, I kill my parents in a heartbeat. I do it every day. And you're like, Oh yeah, I forget. Like that's the range of people that kill in this world. (laughs) Um, but no, I, I really recommend that one. I don't think a lot of people are going to, you know, like it. There, It is a little problematic with some of the relationships that are in it. When you see it, you'll understand what I'm saying. But I really liked it a lot. And it was one of those ones where, like, I felt myself, like, not texting, not looking at my phone, not doing anything because I really wanted to know more about the mythology and how everything in this movie works. So, Cruel and Unusual. Cool. That's the title of it. Thank it, you, Sean. It is on Netflix. I just confirmed that. So What the fuck? So, yeah, my Netflix glitched out then. And <laughs> now I have to find it and rate it and do whatever so that it'll stay in my history. But, yeah, there's that. And then uh, Stranger Things, which I'll wait for you to talk about. Uh, we, can, we can talk about it now. I mean, okay. We, my wife Dang, and I started watching a it a, into that. a couple That's weeks ago. Beautiful. So natural. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Brad, for interrupting that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we started watching it a couple of weeks ago and I've been trying to like, instead of binging it, trying to space it out so we can actually savor it because I was enjoying it so much. But we just finished it, uh, the other night and, uh, I, I, I loved it. I loved it, uh, you know, for, for what it was. I, you know, I thought it was a great, you know, exercise in episodic storytelling and, uh, the style and everything. And I talked about it like a couple of weeks ago anyway when I started it. But I think the way it wrapped up, they did a just a fantastic job kind of dangling a few things, but not over dangling loose threads, I think. Right. Um, so I want to hear your thoughts on it, though. Um, <clears throat> so I spread it out like you did, and I watched it over a long period of time. And then I went back and I binge rewatched it. That's what I need so to that- do. It was, I think it was the smartest thing I could have done because I caught so many things doing that that I wouldn't have during like the spread out watching. I love Stranger Things a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and I think that it's interesting because a lot of people are claiming, oh, this is nostalgia. This reminds me of my childhood, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up then. Like I grew up in the nineties where mom and pop video stores were replaced by 
big box video stores and Dungeons and Dragons were replaced by Mario 64. Like that's the difference. So I don't really have that. Like I understand the aesthetic. I understand the nostalgia of it, but it's not, that's not my life and my story. And to know that if you take that away, it's still a very heartfelt and genuine television series. And like the story that they're trying to tell is very authentic just to the human experience, not necessarily to the human experience of people who lived in like 1984, Mm -hmm. I think speaks volumes about the writing for that show. I mean, the kids, kids are kids and they stay kids kind of, I don't want to say kind of forever, but like all kids act pretty much the same way, regardless. They're swearing when their parents aren't around. They're thinking that everything that they're doing is the most important thing in the entire world. And that's just a universal thing. And that show, I think, recognizes that. Um, I don't want to get super analytical on it Mm -hmm. because nobody wants to hear that. (laughs) But it's incredibly smart. It has excellent commentary on a lot of things that are still issues today. Um, I thought that it was a great mismatch, not mismatch, but a, a great blending of references without it ever being like winking to the camera. Yeah. Like there are so many things about it that we look at and we're like, that's E.T., that's Alien, that's, you know, Stand By Me. Obviously, we get that, but it never feels like it's being forced down our throats. And the one thing that's been driving me fucking crazy is that there's been all the people saying like oh well that kid had a dead poster and that one had the thing poster and neither of those movies were successful so those kids wouldn't have those posters okay (laughs) if that if that alone is what is pulling you out of this then you didn't like the series in the fucking first place right because something that trivial is driving you crazy then fuck off (laughs) like i think that i think those kids would like have those posters anyway if they're those kids the way that they're portrayed, you know, I knew kids like that and they were the ones that would seek out the weird stuff, you know? Right. Like these are, these are the loser kids. They're like, yeah, the popular kids, like the Tommy H and the Carols, they wouldn't have the thing, mm-hmm. but Jonathan, Jonathan Byers probably would. Cause he's a pretentious idiot, which is like the thing they say the whole time, like that. He's a pretentious loser. Pretentious loser would have a thing poster in 1982, but, but I'm not looking at that close. I, I could care less. Right. It doesn't fucking matter. It's a set piece. Calm your shit. <laughs> um, so like stuff like that's been, you know, kind of driving me a little crazy that people are getting that pinpoint, like that persnickety about it mm-hmm. where it's like, just fucking enjoy something. Like this is a, a really, really well-made television show. It's, you know, bringing together all of the things that we love just in, let yourself enjoy it. Don't don't like surgically dissect every little thing about it because I think like Dead Poet Society is real, guys. Like it's becoming a thing. Like when you start treating it like a science, then you stop enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Like you have to let yourself experience it, get that experience, and then go back and analyze it, which is why I binge watched it. Like because right now my big thing is you know, how nobody is addressing the fact that after Nancy talks to the police, she makes the comment about like, why are they even asking me about whether or not I slept with this guy that has nothing to do with finding my friend. And it's like, holy shit, there you go. There's commentary on how we treat people or how we treat women who Mm -hmm. do things sexually and then have to go to the cops. Like no one's talking about that. That's an important thing, but that's not the only part of that story. So that's why you got to get the 
the experience first. Um, I just want to sit and watch those kids play Dungeons and Dragons. Like, I want to sit with them in 10 hours and just watch them play. <laughs> you know? I would watch it. Um, I am also a big fan of the fact that uh, Dustin, the kid with no teeth, and then Lucas are both Broadway kids, too. Okay. So all these videos are popping up of that. Like, I want to say Lucas was like an understudy for Simba and the Lion King. So like all these videos are popping up of them doing like Broadway stuff. I'm like, this is the cutest thing. Amazing. Um, and then, uh, Mikey, the kid, Mikey, his name's like Finn Wolf something, like a name that you think is fake, but it's not. <laughs> um, he's playing, uh, the Seth Green character in the It remake. Oh. Which uh, makes me really excited to see the It remake one because the original it's terrible and two that kid's great <laughs> so did you know that the the duffer brothers uh auditioned or put it did a treatment for the it remake and they got turned down so they went I, and made stranger things whoever uh turned them down probably feels real stupid now they're like ah oh, fuck cuz i uh, i read the thing about how the show had been rejected 20 plus times oh, yeah and everybody like that rejected it said you either need to make this a kids show or focus solely on this, you know, the, the sheriff. And I am so glad that didn't happen. Yeah. Because with, with that in the back of my mind watching it, I was like, if we would have done the kids thing, this wouldn't have been nearly as impactful. And if we would have followed the, the sheriff, this would have been so fucking boring. And it just would have been like an attempt to carbon copy the walking dead. And that mm-hmm. would have been terrible. Yeah, no, it's great. They, they balance everything. Fantastic. Brad, you've seen stranger things, right? You haven't talked about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm a I'm a huge fan. What are your thoughts? Um, I I as everybody knows, I'm not a fan of television to begin with, so um, I I enjoyed it immensely. So that should mean something for anybody that actually takes my opinion seriously. Um, I, my biggest issue with it, and it's not an issue yet, but um, when the second season rolls around, if a lot of uh, a lot of questions aren't answered. I will drop out because I'm not a sucker for television shows to like just kind of make things interesting but not answer them, like kind of like Lost did. Mm-hmm. So um, I will give it a second shot. But I'm also kind of uh, like open-ended stuff is fine. Like you can do that. You can leave stuff for um, your you know imagination as suspension disbelief and stuff like that very much kind of like x-files episodes are you know it ends and not all the questions are answered but that's kind of the fun about it as well because they can't answer them i don't like stuff that can be answered but they just won't or they don't ask questions about it like we know that you know uh um Scully and, 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 and Fox, they, they very much like, well, I mean, later in the seasons, but at, at first, you know, Sp- Spooky Mulder, um, he knows everything about it. He investigates it until, you know, almost the brink of his insanity at the same time. You know, he has, he has a, he has a past. So I, when you establish a character like that that's knowledgeable, it's different versus, you know, these ignorant kids that never dealt with anything like this before now we're dealing with it and also adults at the same time like i just hope that questions are answered i w- i am going to watch it again just in case i missed something because you even said you you did uh bj or i don't know if that yeah. was maybe social commentary or actually stuff well, the both. Story. yeah yeah i missed some social commentary and then i missed like really there's because there's so much nonverbal acting in this show that 
you have to pay attention because sometimes the answer that you're looking for wasn't said out loud. And I think that that's really telling about kind of the culture in which we watch things is that, yeah, I'll admit the first time I watched it through, I'm dicking around on Twitter and whatever, like live tweeting <laughs> the fact that I'm watching the show and being super pumped about it. I missed stuff because like you look away for a second, you might miss something really important. Mm -hmm. Also, shout out to Amy Cements having like random cameo appearance. Yeah, and being I saw awesome. that too. Yeah. Oh, that was so nice. <laughs> um, I think like going off of what you were saying about how like the, you know, now we're dealing with these, they're not, you know, Fox Mulder kind of thing. I think what's really interesting about the show is that it also, you have the kids who are like gung ho fantasy. This is, this is how things work. You have the teenagers who are somewhere in the middle where it's, they have a little bit of logic, but they haven't fully let go of that like childlike wonder. And then you have the adults who are just having their, you know, their sanity question because nothing should make sense. This shouldn't be a thing, but it is a thing. And they're all going on these separate paths and not really accomplishing anything. But it's when they all kind of bring their ideas together that everything works out. And I think that that's really important. It's important for children to realize that, hey, your ideas are just as important as adults. And it's important for teenagers to accept like, hey, it's important to grow up, but it's also important not to lose that childlike wonder. And then for adults, it's important to like not get so cynical and bogged down with like logistics and like let there be wonderment, like let there be curiosity, let that still exist. Because when all of those things work in tandem, like that's when things get solved and that's when things work. And I thought that was a really beautiful sort of story that I don't, I think we're so focused on, you know, oh, it's about the kids. It's about the kids. It's like, yeah, but it's just as much about the adults as well. And it's just such a well-crafted film. And I hope that since Netflix was very much like, we like the show as is, do what you want to do, that this doesn't have like a true detective season two thing <laughs> where like the first season is so unique and original and then the second season just becomes like a paint by numbers fucking cop drama kind of thing. I hope that that's not where the show goes, but I don't think it will because Netflix is really good about letting their creators do their own thing. Yeah. So those are my thoughts. There's a lot of them. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, the only movie that I really got to was uh, Arrow's release of The Zero Boys. It's a flick by Nico Mastarakis. Yes. And, that sounds uh, good enough. Brad had talked about this movie on on the show before. Uh, the, my first experience with this film was just seeing the cover that Arrow put together for it, which is just fantastic. Um, looked right up my alley, but I was kind of waiting to see, you know, hear from Brad and some other people what they thought about it. So when, when Brad reviewed it, I, um, I decided to pick this up and give it a chance and give it a watch. And I absolutely adored it. Uh, a lot of fun. And, uh, because I had so much fun with this, I went out and grabbed Hard to Kill or Hired to Kill by, uh, by Masterakis. Masterakis. But, um, anyway, this stars Kelly Maroney and, uh, has music by Hans Zimmer. So once I saw that too, I was totally hooked. But, but I had fun. It's, you know, this, uh, survival horror action flick. 
with some 80s goofiness kind of thrown in and uh, just a lot of fun. So I definitely recommend everyone check it out for sure. I love Kelly Maroney. She's fantastic. She's great. But uh, but there's just like, I don't know, there's just so many little touches of this film that make it kind of goofy, but it's also like you can tell that it was like, oh, it's well made. Like they were, they gave a shit what they were doing because there's some pretty amazing like cinematography in the film, you know, that I wasn't expecting from a movie like this. Like there's a scene with uh, two that guys are checking out the barn across the way and the way the camera was moving around the characters is as they were discovering things and checking out that room was very, you know, very confident, very well done. And then, um, I don't know. I, I was, I think I was surprised at the craft that went into this. Cause I was just, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a silly survival action horror film, but with so many cool little touches and, you know, great cinematography and cool characters and chemistry that it works. Yeah. You know, um, it's not often we get, you know, we get to see something goofy and it's goofy for goofy's sake, you know, and sometimes we get something that's super polished, but there's no substance there or it kind of loses us. Mm -hmm. This film has kind of both. It has the goofiness quality and the well-made quality. Um, it keeps us kind of on our toes. Like the fact that they have live ammunition. Right. Why? They do these military games with like, it's like paintballs, right? Or, or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, they literally have live ammunition. It's like, wait a second. If you guys are doing this for fun and you're shooting each other, why do you have like a stockpile of fucking ammunition? Like (laughs) you have maybe, you know, a magazine or something like that with a couple, couple rounds, but dude, like full on, like stockpile, like a fucking, um, maximum overdrive basement in, in this bitch. So, So, but yeah, I agree. It's a lot of fun. I'm not a fan of Island of Death by him, um, that we covered, uh, you know, episodes back. But, you know, you said you got Hired to Kill. Hired to Kill's fun. Uh, Brian Thompson is always, I think Brian Thompson's a little underrated because I don't think he's given the roles. I know people are probably, like, people that actually listen to the show and are like, no, Brian Thompson is. They're probably laughing. But seriously, him as the night, uh, the night slasher in Cobra, he's fucking great, man. Like, the Cobra's like a really well made, like, action movie slasher. It doesn't get, categorized as a horror film but it kind of is like cobra is like a great little action slasher yeah that doesn't like movies like that don't exist that's the reason why i don't think we classify it as a horror film it's because it was so new like why why are we watching this same thing with the zero boys it's kind of a slasher it's kind of military you know it's survival horror i think it's a mixture of things uh but brian thompson aside from his uh role as shao Kahn in mortal kombat 2 um he's decent you know he, he's a he's a fun he's a fun actor and in hire to kill he is a, does a great job for you know it's for what it's worth and for what the film is and what he has to go on um i've compared it to like a pg-13 andy sedaris film um without oh, titties a, okay that like that that got me hooked now i want to see it <laughs> yeah you know and it's it, it, you know brian thompson's he, he's he's uh you know military and he's hired to train these you know seven women to become assassins to go kill this like you know uh uh oliver it's oliver reed actually uh which is really bizarre because oliver reed's such you know a standout actor that he's in this like goofy goofy action movie but um i think it's oliver reed 
I'm pretty sure it's Oliver Reed. But anyways, um, I kind of blacked out there for a second. I can't, can't remember <laughs> if it's Oliver Reed now. Because I know Oliver Reed's in Venom, which I thought was odd, but it worked. But um, but anyways, um, really fun flick. I, you'll, I imagine you'll like like it, Sean. Cool. All right, that's all I got. So uh, what you Shit, got, man? Sean. I know. That's all you got? That's all I got, man. We got we to gotta wrap this up soon because people are like, John Cassier's coming on the show and they're just talking about movies. Uh, <laughs> What's up? I think that's what we do, though. I know. What um, you got, man? First up, I have uh, Arrow Academy, uh, their release of the Oxbow Incident, which was actually up for Best Picture against Casablanca. Like, isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, um, That would never happen ever again. <laughs> it will never happen again, seriously. But uh, they lost out. Um, Henry Fonda, Anthony Quinn um, are in this flick. It's uh, from 1943. Yeah, 1943 um, Western. Um, it's about a uh, about these two guys that are going through this town, and they realize that one of the locals, who is a cattle farmer, is killed. And his cattle is stolen, uh, being that the town knows about it after it's, uh, you know, publicly displayed out there. Um, and the sheriff's out of town. Uh, basically, the townspeople get together and basically make themselves sheriffs and create a posse to go after um, these uh, vigilantes. So it's a, it's it's a cool it's a cool film with you know camaraderie and you know uh, kind of kind of you know it has the vigilante side with them too because they're not sheriffs they're not police uh, you know they're not police officers they're not detectives I mean this is fucking set in like the eighteen hundreds or some shit so like you know nothing like that exists you just have maybe the sheriff and you know a bunch of other farmers and you know, shopkeepers and stuff like that. So these people get together, you know, and unite uh, to go after these uh, criminals. Um, very, very well done. Um, you know, not super action packed, which I was kind of hoping for a little bit more action, but um, just a lot of dealing with them not being, you know, uh, sheriffs and fucking cowboys and shit like that. But a lot of fun. Um, I definitely like this better than Casablanca. So in 1943, I would have voted for the Oxbow incident. There you go. Um, next up, I won't spend too much time on because everybody knows it, but I got around to watching Jaws 2. Um, yeah. Jacob, Jacob, <laughs> Jacob Q. Knight on Birth Movie's Death, he said that it was uh, basically a slasher in the water, but Jaws is the slasher. That's kind of how he proposed it, and uh, that kind of turned me on to it. Um, as much as of a movie fan I am, I have not – I didn't see Jaws uh, until the first time last year. It was one of those films that was always on television, always around, always on, and um, had this kind of like common misconception that I was uh, – that I've seen Jaws, but I never really saw it as an entirety. So I sat down with a friend. He, he, you know, he he loves it. We watched it together. It's literally one of the best movies I've ever seen. Everybody knows that. So I was kind of, you know, when I knew about the Jaws sequels, I was like, eh, I'll get around to them. 
eventually. They're released on Blu-ray. Uh, I didn't pick them up just mainly because I was like, okay, whenever. They're, you know, they're I, diminishing returns. So yeah, so <laughs> I, I I watched it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I like how the you know some of the characters return stuff like that. I didn't like how they passed off um, Hooper though. Like so quick. Like, I hate when you know you. Oh, we have to acknowledge that the other cast members in this film. So let's just do something that's like we just pass it off. And it's like no, <laughs> fucking make it a little more intricate or something like that. Don't fucking just say I got him off with the phone. He's said he's in another you know another another country. No, <laughs> I don't know why Roy Schneider just became like a little Jewish. <laughs> man, but, um, it, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. I I enjoyed it. Um. Next up was um, Space Raiders. It was a film that I enjoyed when I was uh, little. Um, I was kind of scared of revisiting it because I was afraid that it would suck um, because I have this thing where I think a lot of people confuse nostalgia with good. And just because we loved it as a kid and remember it, doesn't mean it's still good today. And a lot of films are like that for me. Flight of the Navigator, Explorers, The Last Starfighter, even though I know Sean's a fan of. Mm. Um, it, it, it has problems. It, it, I, I recognize these movies have problems. But, but no. you know, there, there's, you know, Three Ninjas was another one. Um, rewatching those. Three Ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> See, we but, all have our things. <laughs> rewatching these movies I, I i don't and i don't enjoy them even when i'm showing willow you could see that she's even not interested uh, she did like now she loves three ninjas uh, she even likes the sequels um Hell but yeah. everything else uh you know it, it's i don't know i i think that you know at this point in time I, I view a movie as a movie and not whether i enjoyed it when i was a kid I should still enjoy it today. I'm not like that. I'm, you know, another one was the Go Kids, which is known as um, the Quest. As uh, the kid that played Elliot from ET, he he was in it. Um, you know, watching those movies as a kid, I remember being so scared watching the Quest. Like, what was in the water? What was it? And then I'm watching it, and again, I'm like, how does anybody think anything's in the water? It's fucking, it's trash. You know, like literally, it's fucking trash. Um, so, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the quest. Um, but anyways, it's just, those movies, they don't catch me like they did when they were little. I think there's movies that are made for kids. Um, and then there's movies that are made for, you know, audience. It's a mixture of kids and adults. And I think the ones that are kids and adults, they still stick with us. You know, it's it's adults making movies that they wanted to see as kids, maybe like kind of like Fred Decker with the Monster Squad. You know, Richard Donner d- does a great job with with uh, even his you know producing Tales from the Crypt TV show. Everything that Richard Donner's involved with, for the most part, and he has this great like I don't know his movies are timeless. You know, same thing with like fucking Lethal Weapon and stuff like that. Um, but Space Raiders got around to watching it again. It still holds up. Um, you know, it's obviously, you know, a, a take and rip off of Star Wars and the success, success of that. Uh, Corman produced movie that's, it takes place in space. So you kind of know how that goes. You'll see revi- revisit sets <laughs> that you've seen in multiple films. Um, but it holds up. I, I, I like it. I like the mixture of characters, costumes, special effects. I like how our guys are bad. But they, you know, come across, they have this kid with them that they accidentally basically get. 
Um, and they kind of become heroes, and Hawk is the, the leader, and he looks up to Hawk. I, I kind of like that aspect. Um, it holds up. Um, make sure you pick it up soon. It's been out for uh, maybe a year or two, but it is a uh, limited edition from Scorpion releasing. So uh, pick it up when you can. It's it's dropping in price. Originally it was like 30 bucks, um, but now it's like you can get it off Amazon for like 17 something like that. Um, next up I watched uh, – this one was released this year. It's called The Triangle. Um, I've been wondering it, about this one, so – yeah, it's to hear uh, your review. it's on Voodoo. It's um it's about a group of filmmakers and they play themselves. They're real filmmakers. They they've made a couple movies before this. Um, they get a letter from their friend who is in this uh, compound. Uh, they get a postcard saying, "Hey, you know, come out here. Uh, you know, document. Um, bring your cameras. We need help." Um, but it was like we need help. Or I need help is like underlined. So they kind of get worried. So they get their shit together. They go on a cross country trip, uh, to go to, uh, well, not cross country, uh, cross the states. Is it considered cross country if you cross in the United States? Yeah. Or cross, okay. Yeah. There we go. Crossfit. Cross country. When you're, no. Crossfit. Crossfit. Yeah. They all run. They, they all run, run across, that's, that's... Yeah. They run as hard as they can and they don't stop. <laughs> um, so they get to their location. Um, and then they're invited on the compound and it's way back in, you know, the desert. Um, and they're going to document basically how these people live on nothing pretty much. Um, you know, they, they grow and hunt and, uh, everything they can. They don't have electricity aside or they don't have any electronics and stuff like that. They have electricity cause they have a generator. Um, and they do kind of socialize outside of the compound for additional supplies that they can't, uh, that they can't, you know, make, um, there. Um, and it forms a triangle. Um, that's obviously why it's called that. Um, but there's always this like sense of dread that, you know, the people are acting weird. So you're kind of like, Oh, they're going to all die because these people are going to kill them. feels like that, you know, if this cult cultish aspect to it, um, it's just very uncomfortable through the, through the entire film. Um, and then it's kind of, uh, you know, spoken about that there's this cave that they're all kind of scared of, uh, that's off in the distance that, you know, is a little way from their, uh, triangle compound. And that's where the story, um, you know, evolves of what is in the cave, what it's doing. And, um, kind of goes from there uh, without spoiling anything because obviously it's a brand new movie. Um, I was on board a hundred percent until kind of the ending. Uh, it lost me a little bit. Not that it lost me. Like I didn't know what was going on. It just lost me. Cause I was like, eh, whatever. Um, but I, I do like how films do sense and, or can make you sense the dread that they're kind of oozing out of the screen and the characters are uncomfortable. That makes you uncomfortable. I think that's really classy. And I think it's a cool way to, you know, have a movie unfold. Um, unfortunately the ending did not, um, make me like the entire movie. Um, kind of, I felt like I watched something for nothing. In that kind like, of aspect. Is it, does it make you as angry as like the ending of like mockingbird? See, I'm on oh, yeah, that's complete right. you like opposite. The I oh, like God. the ending to Mockingbird. That's right. Ugh, gross. 
then I'll probably um, love the ending of the triangle. <laughs> so, um, n- n- speaking of endings, we'll go on to the next movie that has a cultish vibe too, is uh, Sound of My Voice that yeah. played at South by Southwest, um, 2011, I guess. Um, so it's about, uh, again, two kind of documentarian filmmakers, journalists, that are married, they um, get in s- themselves inside of a, a cult, and there's a kind of a whole thing that they have to do. They have to wash up and clean themselves, like scrub, and get in these white gowns and be like, you know, hoods headed into this car and taken to this uh, basement of this dude. Um, and they come to find out that the person that's leading this is a, a woman that complained, Brie Larson is the is it Brie Larson? No, it's Britt Marling. I get this too confused. Uh, Britt Marling's uh, character is from the the future of a twenty. I think it's twenty fifty four, and she um, is there. She somehow came back. Uh, she kind of talks about that a little bit of uh, how she how she kind of got back into um, you know this two thousand eleven. I guess. Um, so she has stories uh, you're kind of always on the fence whether is this real um you know is she from 2054 is she crazy has she tricked everybody um of course the journalists the documentarians are um you know they are skeptical about the whole situation um and her and they want to kind of uncover and um, figure out for themselves uh, exactly what's true and what's not. Um, and that's that. Um, but it's it's one of these movies that the ending is truly what grabs you and makes the movie what it is. Um, sometimes the ending of movies can make or break it. Uh, this one definitely makes it 100% fucking awesome. Like... Um, I don't want to say anything because I feel like this movie's underseen. Yeah. But I don't. When, when when you watch it, let me know what you think of the little girl that is in in the film, uh, especially towards the end. Um, I, I think it's truly it's 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 shot well. It's 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 also eerie at times, even though it's not a scary movie, and you don't have like dread like you do in like the invitation or the triangle. Um, it's just mainly like a state of confusion, like also keeps you guessing of, uh, is she from the future? Is she not, uh, you know, little clues, like make you think she's from the future. And then she like has these little moments where it feels like she's screwing up, like she's getting, you know, tripping over her own feet, trying to make it like she seems like she's from the future, but obviously she's not, you know, like I thought the great sequence was the cranberries, when she starts singing that cranberry song, she's like, Oh, this is from the, you know, this sing a song from your time. And she starts singing that, uh, cranberry song. And then someone says, Hey, that song is like from the nineties. That's not from your time. And she's like, well, I don't know what was from my time or what was in the past because, you know, I was, wasn't even born when that song came out. So it's new to me, you know, that type of thing, which yeah, I, th- I think that's like a great sequence in the movie. Uh, makes you really guess because she says some things that make you think, okay, well, if she is from the future, that would make sense. That type of shit. Um, so definitely check it out. Um, a really, really fun, great. Where can you find it? 
Uh, that's on. I watched mine on Voodoo. Okay. Um, the next I think uh, it was on Netflix. I think I I originally watched it on Netflix. Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still there or not though. Okay. Yeah. Um. Great, great flick. Um. Next up, I watched um a movie here. I am. Uh, I don't know if I. I I'll talk about it. I just won't say how I watched it, mainly because I don't think you're allowed to do that. Are you allowed to say movies that you're like not or not out yet that you're screening to program a festival? So like, so you're like some type of etiquette if for that. If you're programming it, I don't think you're allowed to talk about it. But like, if you're seeing it as like a critic, like if you saw something from Fantasia Fest to write about, then I think you're fair game. But I think if well, you're this is this has played this has played it theaters then yeah you can talk about it yeah it's 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 out there it's not like it's not like it it has special events that the filmmakers go out and put the film in the theater and have things like that so it has it has been publicly okay that's that was my question like i i I, like i know if it's like it hasn't been like seen by any then obviously that's a no-no um but that that i should have fully said my uh, question first but anyways, um, I got around to watching this. Um, I remember this being a, a Kickstarter um, for it. Uh, the poster always got me. Um, kind of the, the the promotional uh, trailer, I guess it was footage from the movie, got me. But it's called The Barn. Mm-hmm. Um, it is – like I'm usually not a fan of these movies that are – kind of doing this nostalgia thing like oh man we're gonna put like cuts and scrapes and cigarette burns on our movie with final cut pro and we're gonna have text like john carpenter does in his movies and we're gonna have a sense score and it's gonna be total 80s throwback like you can't like that makes me not want to watch the movie anymore Mm-hmm. Because we're getting so it's such a saturated thing with all these movies doing that, and it's like, man, this is just not good. Like, you know, it, it, at this point, it's becoming insulting as even movie lovers because we're like, we get it, man. Like, you just make your movie. <laughs> like, we could totally watch your movie and it be 1080p without any cuts and scratches, and we could still feel the 80s vibe to it. Hey, like the guest. Yeah, the guest. You're next. Joe Bagos, almost human. Like, we get it. Like, you don't have to do anything fancy. You don't have to doll it up to to make it more uh, 80s. However, this film does this. It does all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun, man. It's, 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 it's cheap. It's goofy. It has it, – it's basically this – one the barn – of course, in the, in this town that houses this miner, this scarecrow, and this pumpkin head dude. And uh, if you knock like three times, you make them rise. Uh, these stupid ass fucking kids do it. Then they run to the town next door, and then they get followed by these fucking ghost creatures things, and they just start killing everybody. Um, it's super by the book. It's you know, a movie that we've seen a hundred times, but God damn, it's fun. It's it, the special effects are great. Um, the characters are really fun. The, the dialogue is so goofy at times, but at the same time, it's like so good. It's so cheesy. Uh, I don't know. I guess this movie kind of caught me off guard because maybe 
when I saw like the credits rise and, you know, uh, I, I kind of knew it was kind of eighties throwback, but I still wanted to see it. You know, it's, I'm never going to not want to watch your movie. It's just, I, you get an eye roll from me at first, whenever I see, you know, like that other one that came out lost after dark that came out by anchor Bay. Like I'm just, yeah, I'm just not into it anymore, but I'll still watch it because I like horror films, but this movie definitely hits on every note that I, um, that I love. And the, and the tagline is trigger treat, smell my feet and die. <laughs> I in. think, yeah, I'm I think in. that like it's, they're not trying to hide anything. They, they know what this movie is and they made the movie that they wanted to make without saying, Hey, we, maybe we should put this in for the fan. No, these guys are obviously horror fans themselves. They wanted to make, they can't make a modern movie that does this. So they go back to 1989. Um, so, uh, definitely a lot of fun. Um, hopefully it's out soon. It is doing like special event screenings and shit like that in, in different towns. So I'm hoping that, um, I hope somebody puts this out like on Blu-ray and not one of these smaller little companies that it gets buried on DVD and never seen of again. Cause it, it really truly is a fun movie. Awesome. Um, and last but not least, Holy say shit. the best for last, best for last, best for last, John. All right, here we go. This movie is, I'll say right now, at least in my top 100 of, of all time. It's a oh, new shit. movie to me. So it's very rare I watch a movie and it's like, okay, this movie is one of my favorite movies of all time. Because I hate you come out of a movie, that's the best movie I've ever seen. It's the worst movie I've ever seen. No, it's not. <laughs> let it let it digest. But every once in a while, we watch a movie, and this is also from 1993, Um we, I think it's from 93. Um, we watch a movie that definitely hits us in such a way that this movie's so goddamn unique. It is so fucking awesome. It's so bizarre. It's so weird. It's so suspenseful. You want to know what it, it is? <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's called Suture. It's a Arrow uh, US uh, release this recently. It's directed by Scott McGee and Scott C- David Siegel. Scott Siegel. Huh? I almost said Scott Spiegel. <laughs> but anyways, David Siegel. I, I really don't know who these guys are. But it um, it stars uh, Dennis Hausbert and Mel Harris, which I think a lot of people know. Uh, the one dude is, I guess, the president on uh, 24 or something like that. Um, he's the black guy, um, which is funny. Uh, this movie's He's the film. insurance commercial guy. Yeah, there you go. Progressive or whatever. This movie's filmed in black and white. Uh, it's from 93. And the tagline is a thriller where nothing is black and white. This movie has such a fucking unique plot. It's like, I bet Tarantino jizzes all over this movie. <laughs> um, it's a kind of, it's a, like a, a film noir uh, at the same time. It is, um, a wealthy white man um, has uh, his half brother uh, is is a black guy, but they it's so hard to explain at the same time without making it sound like it's a fucking stupid movie. Um, the white guy who is uh, who is uh, Vincent and his black brother is clay they claim that they are identical without ever 
going into this dude's black and this dude's white, but everybody thinks that they look alike. So the plot is that he, the white guy, Vincent, wants to basically escape his life. So he invites his brother out and kills him. And not really, because he survives. But during his facial reconstruction, they use pictures of Vincent, the white guy, to reconstruct this black guy's face. But he turns out to be the black guy again, without ever actually recognizing that this is a white and black guy. Everybody sees him as the white guy. Hence the thing, a thriller, that nothing is black and white, which also has some huge social commentary because no one's looking at this as a black guy. They're all looking at him as these is, is a white guy. So he has to prove that his brother is dead. The white guy. That makes sense. And I lose everybody. No, yeah, it's really interesting. It's really fucking, (laughs) it's really fucking cool. Um, it, Oh my God, dude. It's, it's so, it's so badass. It's, um, yeah, it's it's trying trying to see past the whole black and white because as watching the movie, you're like, oh, duh, you know, like it, fucking blind man can see this for Christ's sakes, but they don't, hmm. and neither do the characters. To the characters, they're identical twins as soon as everybody else, but. Even like everybody looks, it, it's it's amazing. It's a, it's such a unique plot, but it's handled in such a way that it makes it so suspenseful and so enthralling to keep. It just pulls you in. Like about as soon as the the accident happens, within like fifteen minutes of the film, and you're like super because at first it's a little jarring because the you know Vincent is like, hey man, you look good. Oh yeah, you look good too. We look alike. Blah blah blah. And it's like, wait a second. No, you don't. <laughs> like, you're black. One, and you're, like, you have a poor black man and the wealthy white man. Like, I don't understand. Like, it's really jarring. But then, as soon as, like, it's not, like, right out there in front of you. You learn through these other characters that meet up with them that, oh, this is Vincent. This isn't, who the hell's Clay? A half, a half, uh, you know, half brother that's black. No, it's all white. It's crazy. But it's man, it's a really good fucking thriller. It's cool. really good. Um, it's very suspenseful. It has some crazy, like, just extremely suspenseful scenes. Um, and if you if you look on the original poster art, that when he's in the wearing white, like the, the just the poster alone, where he's uh, looks like he's in a bath, he's in, in, actually in a bathtub, and he's holding that shotgun. And he's all, and the black guy's dressed in white, and the white man's all dressed in black, holding a handgun on the other side of the shower curtain. Good lord, that sequence is fucking amazing. But um, yeah, I think I think this is very, I think it's very underseen because it was a movie that I, you know, after uh, after I watched it, I asked a lot of people. And I only come across like two people that saw it. Most of the people saw it when Arrow released it. Hmm. So, and, and you know, nineteen ninety three. That's the prime time for these fucking indie movies. Yeah, because Soderbergh was championing this. You know, I mean, we had Reservoir Dogs that kind of kickstarted that whole thing. You know, we had it before Reservoir Dogs, but it really, you know, really kicked off this whole thing 
for um, for uh, indie thrillers. And we had a lot, just a lot of indie movies that were standing on the same, sitting on the same shelf, I guess you could say, as these major blockbusters at the video store. And everybody was running this shit, you know, and they were popular, you know, from like, I would say like probably like 91, 92, um, you know, it started hitting, hitting, where did Reservoir Dogs come out? 92? Anybody? Sure. Yeah. I don't know. No. I guess. Well, anyways, uh, you know, ar- around that time, you know, uh, up until probably like I would say 99. Yeah. You know, I think that's when – because indies were extremely well-made. You know, they had uh, popular directors. You know, I mean you could even say David Lynch, some of Sodenberg's films, David Lynch films. They, they were kind of almost portrayed as, you know, in the indie meant something a little bit different back then, of course. Um, nowadays it's filmmakers with no money getting together, making money with friends. It just, it, independent meant something different in the nineties. Yeah. So it was kind of surprising that this film wasn't championed more, um, because it was so different and unique. It just wasn't cool and slick, like a slick thriller, like the grifters. It was, you know, something else. It's a totally different caliber of movie. I've never seen anything like this. You know, still haven't. You know, even who, who the fuck saw this movie and not wanted to do something almost identical? No, yeah. they haven't done it yet. That's crazy. I, I, it's crazy I haven't, haven't heard about this one. I really want to see it, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's, I want to check it out. I was looking at pictures of it while you were talking, and it looks awesome. Yeah, it's really fucking good. So I can't wait. I, you know, Arrow's killing it, of course, but then they pull something like this along with their horror lineup. You know, we got to pay attention more to their other films rather than the horror flicks because if they're releasing shit like this under the table. Yeah, their Arrow Academy stuff is well worth a look. So if you haven't checked out the Arrow Well, this Arrow is Arrow Academy. Video. This is an Academy. I thought it was Arrow Academy. Academy's in the UK, not over here. Oh, okay. So they released it a US release too? So yeah. in the UK, they released it under the, oh. under the Arrow Academy. Oh, okay. I okay. guess they only have the one label over here. But yeah. yeah, it's one of those Academy labels where it's, you know, like the Night Night of the Hunter and shit yeah. like that. Yeah, it's worth checking out that that line. If you have a region free, check out the Arrow Academy stuff because there's some good stuff there. I think I got Dillinger on there. Haven't, yeah. haven't watched it yet, but... And Josh Obershaw joins us now with this week's news. What's up, man? Hey, Sean. How's it going? Going good. Can't complain. It's been a busy, uh, busy week, man. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff going on. <sighs> yeah, I know. Especially when it gets closer to Halloween. <laughs> it's ramping up for sure. What, what do you got for us today? A uh, little quick uh, tidbit, uh, movie-wise. Uh, I usually tend to avoid news like these, especially when it comes to like big franchises, big. Uh, because it's always changing and it seems like when, you know, one person comes in and then something happens and then they leave and it, it, with this particular franchise, that just seems to be the case. And apparently there's a new director involved in the next Friday the 13th film. This series has just been in limbo ever since 2009. So I, but anyways, uh, Breck Eisner, who previously did the remake for The Crazies and recently did the Vin Diesel movie, The Last Witch Hunter, no. he's in par- he's apparently in charge of this now. So I haven't seen either of these movies. So what are your thoughts about that, Sean? Well, I think The Crazies is a decent remake. I mean, it's no Romero. I mean, I like the original 
better. It deals with that paranoia a lot better. Um, but it's the crazies. The remake is a decent modern retelling. Um, the last witch hunter is awful. Just, like, I was hoping to go <laughs> so over it like just dumb fun, but it's, it's just horrible. It's, it's generic Hollywood filmmaking aimed at, you know, the fantasy nerds, <laughs> but it's just <laughs> oh, awful paint by numbers bullshit. Yeah, I get, I get, I get. Uh, to get a better sense of what to look forward to, if this guy sticks around, I might as well just stick in the crazies. Like I do own the remake, I I just haven't watched it yet, so yeah, I'll probably do that. It's <laughs> decent, but I think the last the last witch hunter is just you know he just got hired to direct the script. You know what I mean? It's just at that point. Oh, I, I see. Mean, some of these directors take on these jobs, and they just you know there's only so much you can do with a, a bad script. You know so. It's never 100% the director's fault. Now, a good director can take a, a shit script and really turn it around. But, you know, sometimes they're just hired by big studios as just a hired gun. You know, do this, get the job done. We'll make some money because we have a good marketing campaign. You know, move on. So, yeah, I right. I don't know. I liked the last I liked the last remake of Friday the 13th just fine. I was hoping they would continue on with that because I thought it was a decent setup and I loved how they portrayed Jason in that one. And you know, so it was Derek. So Mears. did I. Derek I mean, Mears, right. He was the, he was Jason. Yes. And he's a he was an awesome Jason. Jason. Yeah. So I don't know why they just don't build on, on that. Cause they've already started something <sighs> decent. Now they gotta do another reboot. <laughs> I don't, I don't, whatever. That's just sad. Yeah. That's just sad. That last Friday movie, it was the most Friday the 13th movie of all the Friday the 13th movies that New Line had done. <laughs> so that's really sad. But yep. Oh, well, it is what it is. I just thought I'd open up the discussion with this. Like I said, I usually avoid news like this. Like, for instance, um, <laughs> The Crow is still trying to get remade. <laughs> and I'm just like, guys, come on, just give it up, man. I mean, they just announced that they're in talks with Jason Momoa. Yeah to star in it and I, I i just shook my head i'm like no i'm <laughs> just no but let's move on let's move on to happier news last week <laughs> i mean there was a lot of exciting stuff regarding veteran videos uh collector series and uh we've got details on waxwork and waxwork 2 lost in time this is the double feature uh it is going to be the 100 minute uncut version yay and the special features for this one, there's going to be an audio commentary with director Anthony Hickok and stars Zach Galligan on both of these films. And there's going to be uh, a featurette called The Waxwork Chronicles. It's a six-part featurette. There's a vintage-making of featurette, and you've got the usual theatrical trailers and still galleries. So that's what we can expect from Waxwork. Sweet. And we also... We also have an update on an Arrow release coming out on at the end of September, and that is Slugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I keep asking Mike from Grindhouse uh, video, like, so what? Because I have it pre-ordered. So I was like, is this, is this out yet? Is this shipping yet? <laughs> <laughs> I saw this recently, and oh, my God. Yeah. It's... Oh, it's not a good movie, but it's, it's super entertaining. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> but um, I just can't. I just can't imagine seeing it because it's a a high definition Blu-ray, a new restoration, and I don't know. I just can't fathom seeing a movie like this, this bad, looking so good. It's gonna look well. I w- I shouldn't say it would look weird. It's just strange that a movie like this could get this kind of treatment. <laughs> It's one of my favorite Especially, movies of all time, and I can say that with no irony. I love it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Good. There's okay. a few of us out there <laughs> that love it, but it's it's a goofy piece of trash. Now, I'm not shitting on it whatsoever. I mean, I, <laughs> I pretty I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because it is so bad. Uh, the Blu-ray is going to have uh, two audio commentaries: one with Slugs author Sean Hudson, and another one with writer and filmmaker Chris Alexander. Hmm. And you've got Here's Slugs in Your Eye, which is an interview with actor Emilio Linder. They slime, they ooze, they kill. The effects of slugs. This is an interview with special uh, special effects artist Carlo DeMarchi. Invasion USA, an interview with art director Gonzalo Gonzalo. The Lion's Den, which is an interview and location store with production manager Larry Ann Evans. You've got a 1988 Goya Awards promo reel and a trailer, plus the reversible sleeve with new artwork from uh, Wes Ben Scotter. And that one's coming out on September 26th in the UK and the next day here in the United States. Speaking of Arrow Video, now, all y'all that weren't really thrilled with uh, the October slate, the November slate, is a lot better. Oh yeah, man. So why don't we go through these? Let's go. Let's start with the UK first. I mean, they've got a couple of things that um, came out here in the United States, but I'm sure they'll be really, really thrilled to be getting these. Starting with Howling Two, Your Sister Is a Werewolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is pretty much going to be the exact same release one that Screen Factory put out last year. I mean, it's all pretty much all the same features. I mean. Anybody here in the States that want to get this on Blu-ray, um, you're pretty much getting it for the new artwork. But it's a lot of the same features from the Screen Factory disc, which is cool. At least, you know, our pals in the UK are getting it yeah. because that movie is – holy shit. <laughs> this, is, this is another one of those movies that is just so insanely bad, but I but I love it. And also, they're uh, the UK are also getting uh, "To Live and Die in L.A.", the uh, William Friedkin classic from 1985. And the bonus features they got listed are, I believe, they're all archival DVD extras from MGM's DVD. They haven't really announced any more um, features exclusively for the for the blu-ray i know screen factory are also putting this out in the united states also in november i might add and they haven't announced their new extras yet so that's what we can expect from to live and die in la that is definitely one i'm picking up so for both the um for both the uk and the u.s we're going to be getting a new blu-ray of the initiation actually this is the first blu-ray release in the united states there have been a couple of um dvd releases two of them by anchor bay the last one was from uh image but the special features for the 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 initiation are brand new restoration an audio commentary by the hysteria continues Hmm. don't know who they are a brand new interview with actor christopher bradley 
brand new interview with actress Joy Jones, the original trailer, a reversible sleeve featuring the original and newly commissioned artwork by Justin Osborne. And for the uh, first pressing only, we're going to get a uh, collector's booklet featuring new writings by critic James Oliver. This one comes out in the U.S. on November 8th and in the U.K. on November 7th. And also for both the U.K. and the U.S., we're getting Abel Farrar's uh, The Driller Killer. <laughs> we're going to be getting this one in two different uh, editions. You're, we're going to be getting a limited edition steelbook as well as a regular edition. And we're going to uh, have an audio commentary by director and star Abel Ferrara, moderated by Brad Stevens, who is the author of Abel Ferrara, The Moral Vision. And that one was recorded exclusively for this release. There's a new interview with Ferrara, Willing and Abel, Ferrarology 101, a new visual essay guide to the films and career of Ferrara by Alexandra Heller Nicholas, author of Cultographies. This 45. Plus, we also have Mulberry Street. This is Ferrara's feature-length documentary portrait of the New York location that has played a key role in his life and work. So this one is coming out at the very end of November, November 29th in the U.S. and in the U.K., November 28th. And finally, the one U.S.-only release, Chud. Yeah. Motherfucking Chud. <laughs> and I say last week that we have to be seeing a Blu-ray of Chud around the corner. I feel like I just said that. Because we were talking, we were talking about got, uh, Chud 2. Exactly. You guys did mention that. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's just like, huh, well, what do you know? I think someone's listening to the show. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so great. This is one uh, of those uh those this is one of those monster movies I grew up with as a kid, and I'm I'm really happy that this is getting a brand new release. And for um, Arrow, man, I was just so it's just a company like them I handling know. Chud is fantastic. And the art kicks so much ass. Mm-hmm. It's probably my favorite new art of uh, of this whole bunch. Uh, we're getting an audio commentary with director Douglas Cheek, writers Shepard Abbott, and actors John Hurd, Daniel Stern, and Christopher Curry. I don't remember if this is an old commentary or if this is a, a new commentary, but there are but there are going to be uh, brand new crew interviews and the original trailer. And for the first pressing, there's going to be a collector's booklet featuring new writing on the film. There's no author given, so I don't know, but. Um, we don't have an exact release date for this one yet, but it is part of the November slate, so pretty damn soon. So all in all, I think Arrow Slate is just kicks October's ass. Sweet. Next up, um, Mondo Macabro have actually announced three new titles. They're the ones that put out uh, Lucio Fulci's A Lizard in a Woman's Skin. They've got another one, uh, if I can remember the title. Private vices, public virtues. There you go. Good. Nailed it on the first try. <laughs> so then uh, the next movies they've got coming up, one is a 1981 South Korean film called Suddenly in the Dark. That one is slated for early October 2016. Next up uh, is going to be one from Jess Franco. Here we go. Jess Franco again. Guy's got so many goddamn movies. This one's called Night of a Thousand Sexes. Hmm. This one is one of his films from the uh, from the eighties, 
And if I'm not mistaken, it's actually a remake of one of his earlier movies. I don't have the title off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, they were going to announce three in one day, but they decided to hold off the last one. But now we know what that third one is. It's called In the Eye of the Hurricane. This is a Spanish-Italian giallo. And that one is going to be slated for late 2016 or early 2017. So that's what we can expect from Mondo in the coming months. Cool. And moving on. Tales of Halloween. Yeah. This was a really, really popular anthology that debuted last year. And it, it seemed to be like a really, really big hit with people. I still haven't seen it yet, unfortunately. I know. I suck. <laughs> well, I think it was on... I thought it was on Netflix or maybe I think I bought it on Voodoo for like, it was super cheap, like eight ninety nine or something like that, or even cheaper on, on Voodoo. So I've had this for a while. I'm um, surprised to see the, the Blu-ray treatment it's getting. Oh, I know it's, it's, it's coming out as a limited edition for this set and it's all region free too. I mean, the Blu-ray is region free. The DVD is region free. Um, the fourth disc is all uh, bonus material. That's all on DVD, but it, it is also um, region free as well. Awesome. And there's also and the third disc is actually going to be the soundtrack to the movie with music from a whole bunch of artists, including Lilo Schifrin. That's amazing. Hmm. And also uh, Joseph Bashar is on the soundtrack as well. But there's going to be a whole bunch of deleted scenes, uh, some extra film shorts. It's, it's going to be an amazing package. Yeah, this is one that I, I, you know, I didn't like it as much as Trick or Treat, but it's definitely going to be a, a yearly staple to be, you know, to play at some point during Halloween. It's a fun little, it's a fun little anthology. I think with uh, Halloween coming up soon in a couple of months, I think that's going to be the time for me to dive right into that and see what I think. Yep. I'm really looking forward to that. So finally, what I have for you is one from Umbrella Entertainment, Australia's Umbrella Entertainment, who gave us the um, most recent Blu-ray release of Road Games. And they've also given us the, uh, a, a good version of Night of the Living Dead, uh, 1990, a non-crappy, oh, right. color-coded one. <laughs> that's right. Well, they've got another treat for us. They're going to be releasing... 1989's The Punisher, oh, starring man. Dolph Lundgren. So excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me too. And um, I know this has been put out on Blu-ray in other territories like Germany. I know, I think uh, Rob G. from uh, Shockwave said he had a, a, a German import of this. Mm-hmm. But um, um, this new Blu-ray is still going to be Region B, just so everybody knows. Yeah. But this is still going to be worth picking up because we're getting three different versions of this fucking movie. We've got the theatrical version, an unrated version, and a work print. I'm so curious about the work print. (laughs) Yeah, so am I. I mean, okay, we also, before I forget, we also got a new interview with uh, director Mark Goldblatt and a new interview with the Punisher himself, Dolph Lundgren. There's also going to be a gag reel, too, which is, you know, for a movie like that, a gag reel, I mean, I'm I'm already sold. Because the only DVD that I have is, like, completely bare bones. Yeah, I have that same DVD. Yeah. 
And what's really weird because I remember I first got this on VHS when I was in uh, when I was in middle school, and I remember looking at the back of the back cover of the of the tape, and there is actually a still of this part of the movie that I'm looking at and I'm going, I don't remember that. What the hell is this? I mean, so apparently it was something that was cut out from the movie. So that's the reason why I'm so excited to see this unrated version or this work print, just so I can know what the hell that scene actually is. Because for 20 some odd years, I had no idea what that was. I thought maybe it was, you know, something from another movie that Dolph Lundgren and Louis Gossett Jr. had done before because they've had done another movie besides the Punisher. Um, don't even bother with that because it's not very good. <laughs> I think it was called the Cover Up. Yeah, I think so. But anyways, the Punisher coming out September seventh. So if Dolph Lundgren is still your, your favorite Punisher, then by all means get your copy of this. It's going to be awesome. And that's all the news I have for you, Sean. Wow. Good stuff, man. Totally. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Keep up all the great work, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. We'll see you guys next week. Later. Let's jump into this interview with John Kassir. I'm still mad that none of you asked him about Reefer Madness, but uh-huh. hey. We're going to be hearing about this the forever now. <laughs> Probably. <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> we'll jump into this interview with uh, with John Kassir, and we'll be back to wrap up. Well, we're extremely excited to have uh, this week's guest, John Kassir, joins us. Who uh, all of you know him as the voice of the Crypt Keeper. John, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hello, kitties. Awesome. awesome. Oh man, I Is missed this that. Brad. Shit. <laughs> I'm Brad, man. I, that, that just gave me some chills, and I almost brought a tear to my eye because I haven't heard that. You know, I mean, watching Excellent. the show over and over, but. I mean that's 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 the voice I grew up with. So oh yeah, yep. yeah. Um, well, I'm glad to have been a part of your nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> You're a. Uh, I grew up with a comic book, so I uh-huh. I know how you feel. I was just oh, man, really yeah. into it as a kid. You know. Oh, so that I was that was a huge passion project for you too. Oh yeah, you know. I mean, uh, I, when they told me they were making, I was doing another series for HBO at the time called First and Ten. It was about a football team and um, uh, O.J. Simpson and Delta Burke and uh, who else was on that show? Uh, Chris Maloney, a bunch of really great, uh, great uh, you know actors on it. But it was basically you know a fun show about football. And I played the Bulgarian field goal kicker. I could kick 60-yard field goals. He was uh, Zagreb Shkinuski, Yalas Kizinski. And, um, you know, I uh, had uh, just uh, re- uh, recently had won Star Search as a stand-up comic and wound up doing that um, because I was doing an off-Broadway show about comedians 
And um, they asked me to be on Star Search. And I said, you know, I'm not really a stand-up. I'm just playing it as a part. And they said, well, you can win $100,000. I'm like, fuck, I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, so I put together an act of doing all kinds of characters and voices. I would do, uh, you know, like I would do The Wizard of Oz in two and a half minutes, stuff like that. So HBO knew that I did a bunch of voices and characters and that kind of thing. So they asked me to come down and audition for the show. And I was like, wow, they're making Tales from the Crypt into a series, you know, and I just thought it would be some, you know, HBO was was not nearly as as uh, subscribed to at the time. And, um, you know, it was just really just starting to hit Um, first and 10 was its first series. And I'd also done some work uh, recurring on a show called Dream On. And so they were, you know, making their way through just establishing what they're. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I remember watched watch ten for the same thing. Yeah, that was pretty much their. Uh, that was pretty much the remo. You know, it's a sports comedy and and tits. But <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's what Dream On was. Necessarily in that order. I mean, no sports, but yeah, yeah, I used to watch that. I mean, HBO was my go-to, and I remember watching. Um, yeah. was it Brian Ben Ben was in that show? Brian Ben Ben, yeah, yep. who is uh, yeah. mar- who is married to Madeline Stowe. Oh wow! Do you have Madeline Stowe from Scandal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Madeline yeah. Stowe. Was, I mean, uh, she was in uh, China Moon. I think was another one of her uh, movies in Blink. Yeah, she was in was a bunch Blink? of great movies. You know, yeah. back in the day, and uh, <clears throat> you know, they're uh, an unusual couple, but a good couple. Yeah, man, I miss Dream on a lot too. Jeez, I would imagine I would like it a lot more since I'm growing up. Well, I would say growing up, I just yell out titties on the show, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, used to, <laughs> I was a big fan of that show for uh, certain reasons. Um, but then, you know, Tales from the Crypt was, you know, kind of that same slot on HBO. They would just run all those together. Uh, Deary Mon was, I think, oh, yeah. on afterwards. Um, but, uh, man, you're taking me back, John. <laughs> well, hey, you know, it's it, it doesn't seem so long ago to me. <laughs> so your your career, that's, I mean, you've, you've that's done how young and old I am. <laughs> <laughs> you've done, you know, your your lit laundry list of all the vo- things you've been in and, and voices you've done um, is pretty extensive. You know, your career and and it's you know, I, and me kind of being, I've always enjoyed voiceover work. I used to want to get into it and was in radio for a bit, and uh, and so it's something that I always love. You know, reading about and whenever. There's I, I'll watch like the making of special features on animated movies just to see them in the booth, you know, working on the character and recording and stuff because I, I love watching it. Um, how how did you how do you go about like choosing the voices? Do you just uh, based on the character just try some, some things or is it just? You know? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's obviously they give you as much information as they can when you're auditioning for something. I mean, in the in the case of Tales from the Crypt, I had the luxury of going down to Kevin Yeager's studio because he was he, he's the one who initially was auditioning people for The Voice. And, um, you know, so I got to see what the Crypt Keeper looked like and I knew the comic book and I, you know, knew the you know, had some they had some copy and I improvised some stuff and I added in this cackling laugh and you know I was seeing that the character had holes in his throats and stuff so I brought all that texture to it and did it for Kevin and he was like you know he was not expecting that at all and um, but you know very, very often I'll get 
just copy or I'll get some copy and maybe uh, some drawn pictures of what they're looking for. Um, if I know the project, if I know the people who are making the project, I might get a sense of what the feel of it is. Mm -hmm. You know, I work a lot for the guys that do, uh, you know, minions and, um, despicable me movies and, and, uh, secret life of pets and that kind of thing. And they just, you know, they bring me and, and another group of a uh, small group of, uh, people just to come in and do a bunch of voices each time they do a movie because they know, we know the style of what they do and we'll, we'll come in and do a bunch of different things. So sometimes you're just hired just basically because they know that you get what they yeah. do. Mm -hmm. And then other times, you know, you're just, you know, you may do one or two takes or they may give you a description that's, you know, whether it's Batman Arkham or one of those games that I'm working on. And I know that those are a bit darker and a more realistic kind of tone to them. So, you, you, you know, just like auditioning for anything else, you're trying to get a sense of what the project is and you make those choices based on that. And sometimes it's just pissing in the wind and it, it works out. And then other times, you know, you could have done a great job, but you just didn't get enough information. Right. Used to be most of my auditions, I would had to go down and there would be a voice director and that kind of thing. And they would give you more of a sense and you would do something. They go, you know, that's a little more over the top of what we're doing. Can you do this? And but, but pretty much most of my auditions now I do them at home. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the way they do them now. You know, my uh, agent sent me the copy and the auditions and I record them uh, uh, at my home and uh, send them as uh, as files to them so they can send them out to the auditioners. And, um, you know, and then if there's some some of the projects of a big project, very often, they'll you know, they'll go based on that and bring you and maybe uh, one or two other people and, uh, you know, that they liked and, and fool around to see uh, which one they're going to wind up going with. And then other times you just cast right off of what you auditioned for. So you can imagine you have to audition for a lot of stuff to get a few things very often. Yeah. Um, but then a bunch of other stuff come in just based on your reputation. And, right. you know, Pete's Dragon, which I'm currently in, in uh, you know, doing the, the Dragon Voice was just based on uh, the fact that the director loved my work and brought me in yes. to uh, – to goof around one day to see if uh, if my what I would do would match with what they were shooting, and uh, that worked out great. I'm so excited to see the the film. My son he turns 11 the day it comes out. Not not like he doesn't turn he turns. Oh, nine. awesome! So he's he's we saw the trailer and I'm like over here like a weepy mess because I I love the original Pete's Dragon. I mean everyone <laughs> yeah. dogs it, but yeah. I, I love the hell out of oh, that. Oh no, I, I was a big Oh yeah, and it was a huge. It was like the one thing I'd watch over and over again as a kid. So seeing that the the trailer from the new version, I was just like over here, just having an emotional moment. <laughs> My son's looking over at me. Oh like, yeah, that well, looks cool. A, you know, an and I was like, film too. I, I hear it's wonderful. Have, have you seen? It's, it's, it's truly an emotional film as well. Mm. I had you got to see it last, last night, night, right? Yeah, we yeah. went to the premiere. Nice. Yeah, we had the premiere last night uh, in Hollywood on the you know Hollywood Walk of Fame. They had a green, green carpet instead of a red carpet. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> if you go on my Facebook page, which is just my name, John Kassir, um K A S S I R, you'll 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 see some photos that I posted. They had like a giant billboard sign that you could climb up from behind and get on the dragon. Oh, nice. Uh, you know, which was my wife and I got on there. That was pretty funny. Um, I was like, Hey, I'm riding myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, I took some nice photos of me and, and, uh, Oaks Fagley, who's 11 years old. Mm -hmm. And the, the kid who's the star of the film plays Pete, who's amazing. This kid is amazing. I wish I had his chops when I was his <laughs> age. I would have had another uh, 15 years added to my career. But, um, 
you know, the whole cast is wonderful. The, the film is beautiful. A guy, David Lowry, that made it, um, you know, comes from the indie world, uh, in the independent film world. And so it has such personal touch, this film. Um, if you loved the, the original, it's completely different, but mm-hmm. you'll love this in the same kind of vein. It's, it's, it's a beautiful film and it's shot in, um, uh, New Zealand, uh, it made to look like the Pacific Northwest here in the States, um, in the, in the forest. And it's just, it's just gorgeous. The, the, um, uh, Weta did such an amazing job on the, on the, um, dragon. It's, it's beautiful. And, um, you know, so I added my part to it and brought some emotion and everything to the dragon. But it's, you know, bring me hanky. I dare you not to cry. It's, you know, <laughs> for all the right reasons. Right. Um, and there's no, I'm sorry to say there's no boobs in it, but, um, you know, it's great. I've boobs. grown up, John. I've grown um, up. <laughs> <laughs> if there's any consolation, Robert Redford's in it. <laughs> the handsome man. <laughs> yes, he's a handsome guy still. Uh, he plays the older, crustier guy, but he's, he's good. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's fun because this was, you know, having done stuff like the Crypt Keeper and Miko the Raccoon and Pocahontas and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, you know, it's all, you know, my love of horror kind of, you know, helped me develop that aspect of my vocal work, doing creatures and weird kind of monsters and um, and that kind of thing in, in games. So, um, you know, even getting this part in a in a wonderful family film, you know still has its roots somehow in, in, in my work in horror. So, um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> so going back to, um, kind of the auditioning process, do, do you prefer kind of, uh, kind of that digital world now where you can record and submit like that? Or were you more of the old school style of actually going to auditions, uh, mainly to put a face with who you're um, speaking you know, to? Oh yeah. Well, obviously I miss that that aspect of it. Plus, you know, I mean, uh, the, the voiceover world is, uh, you know, it's a great world of, of really wonderfully creative and, and, uh, um, you know, a lot of the voice actors that I work with, you know, um, uh, we enjoy each other and have a great time. Um, and you don't get to see them as much because you're auditioning from home, um, which we miss. But when we get a chance to go in and audition, on site, it's fun because sometimes you have to read off of each other and that kind of thing. So it's a, that's a lot of fun. Of course, when we get some of these jobs, uh, like I mentioned with the, uh, you know, the, the folks that uh, make Minions and Despicable Me and that kind of thing, we get together with a small group of great people like Carlos Alizarraki and I were working yesterday with, um, uh, you know, some other uh, great voice actors, uh, you know, in that group. Sometimes we'll have Lorraine Newman and Jim Cummings and um, Lori Allen and some really good pe- people in the, in the the small group of us will just have a blast, you know, coming up with different voices and, and, and you know, doing weird group scenes of funny characters and that kind of thing. So, you know, not having that opportunity, you know, I miss that certainly, but, but of course I can do a lot more auditions here from home. It's great not getting out of yeah. my pajamas and doing, you know, <laughs> starting. Oh, my no. Yeah, day. definitely. It was you just know, more or less getting like getting notes from people. Like if you're at the audition, at least they can say, Hey, can you tone it down a little bit or do something different? Is that yeah. the same process or do they just say, well, this guy's not it and move on to the next one. Do you have a chance to redeem uh, yourself? 
Well, the other downside to it is, is they can get a lot more, more submissions. I mean, they used to get yeah. like, you know, 15, 20 people in and it was between us. We knew one of us was going to get it. And you know, now they, I mean, they can get a couple of hundred submissions yeah. and somebody's job is to go sift through those and go, Oh, this is this, 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 and this, I'll bring this to my people and see what they think, you know? So you may have done something really great that they may have liked it and never even got to them. So you don't know. Obviously with, you know, my reputation and my, uh, right. experience of being able to deliver most of the time, they're going to listen to mine just to see if it's something that they would go with. But you just don't know. I mean, there's so many great people out there. You know, they listen to yours. They listen to his and they go, you know what? This is more what we are thinking in terms of the animation or this is what we're thinking, you know, in terms of the feel of the other characters. Or we liked his voice uh, for um, this, but we have a guy who's playing another character that sounds a lot like that. I mean, there's all that those kind of things come into play. And it's basically their project. They spent a long time getting it sold. They spent a lot of time putting it together and you're just, uh, you know, you're offering up your, your take on it and, and hoping they want to include you in your project. Mm. Um, yeah. you know, back in the day I put together a lot of my own projects and that was a lot of fun for me, but of course I, you know, I needed to make the call on who I was going to hire or use and that kind of thing. And it's, it's not always an easy process. So, you know, I feel fortunate every time I get a job, no matter where it comes from. And, uh, you know, I have a good time doing it. Obviously I, I feel like I've, I've earned it over a long period of time, but, um, you know, it's fun working with friends too, or people that you get to work with on a regular basis. That's always a great thing. Cause you already have shorthand, you know, you show up and you, you know, you, you delve into it and, you know, <clears throat> when you have a good voice director, for instance, that you work with a lot, they can say one word or give you one kind of short direction and you know exactly where to go with it and you just it's pounding it back and forth like tennis it's pretty it's pretty great yeah now start now starting out when when you first got into the business were you wanting to be in front of the camera too and then kind of you know uh what evolved first um well i mean i i started in the theater i you know i came out of college and i had my first off-broadway show uh right out of college and um lived in New York. And of course I wanted to be a theater actor. That was my training. And, and I, I made more money street performing in front of the Metropolitan Museum than I ever made in theater. <laughs> it just doesn't pay very much. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I did some Broadway and off Broadway musicals and that kind of thing. And, um, and then, uh, after winning star search, um, that launched me into the TV career. So I mostly did, um, you know, uh, television comedies, um, you know, if, uh, you know, check out my IMDB, you'll see that, mm -hmm. you know, I have a long list of, of, uh, series that you guys are probably too young to remember, <laughs> except for, you know, like first and 10 and tales from the crypt. <laughs> it wasn't until I got tales from the crypt that I actually even started a voiceover career. Mm -hmm. Um, people would ask me, you know, to come in and if I had the time, but I was, you know, extremely busy, which was good for me including, you know, going on the road as a comedian and doing those shows and then doing first and 10. And I did, I was doing some network series, uh, one called FM and a bunch of other stuff. Um, at one point I had my own kid show on the USA network, which was kind of like, you know, imagine, um, Mike Myers having his own kid show, playing all the characters and pulling kids in through the TV set that had some kind of thing. And I'd take them on some kind of adventure. And, um, it was called Johnny time. I should I should put that on YouTube. It's got some great stuff in it. It's <laughs> it's pretty out there. 
it, we found that it skewed really well to kids and stoners. Um, <laughs> but uh, originally, originally when we came to USA to do that show, it was we were going to be the 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 flagship for their um, their children's programming, but they wound up um, not being given the budget that they wanted in order to create a children's programming. So I, it kind of was like the only kids show in the USA Network. So we were the lead into the WWF on Sunday mornings, <laughs> which was kind of fun and bizarre. <laughs> but uh, we were, uh, you know, our audience were uh, kids and people who had stayed all, all night smoking weed and being like, this is really out there. It was kind of a psychedelic kid show. That's amazing. Was that but, like, um, that, was that in, intentional to try to reach those, reach those true? Was that like those two? Well, uh, originally it was considered to be a, a kid show for, yeah. well, originally with my partner, <laughs> my writing partner, Jerry Colker and I had, had created it as an idea. The idea was it to be a kid show for adults. Okay. You know, kind of like Uncle Floyd or something that they have in, back in New York or that kind of thing. You know, it was supposed to be something that would, would have been on it like, you know, one thirty in the morning, um, produced out of a garage. Right. I mean, that was supposed to be the feel of it. But then when we started pitching it to, uh, to, uh, the, the production company, um, and the network, they were like, this would be a great kid show. Can you do it as a kid show? I go, yeah, we can do it as a kid show, you know, and, you know, instead of the kid having, you know, instead of being a stockbroker that, uh, you know, is trying to, you know, save his, company on a kid show it'll be you know a kid that lost her braces you know right right <laughs> so um but you know that was uh you know i was really grateful for the voiceover work uh and i still do a lot of one camera stuff i you know recently did a, a really great ncis where i played uh you know uh, a friend of robert wagner's and um i was a, a an art forger and it was a lot of fun and um, got to play the Pope on uh, on Hot in Cleveland on a date with Betty White, which was really funny. Nice. Uh, um, that's such a bizarre show. Can you imagine? It's like <laughs> pitching that idea. Okay, well, in this episode, Betty's on a date with the Pope. It's like, <laughs> how are we going to get the Pope? I don't know. I bring in John Cassier and play the Pope and shoot over his shoulder. You know, it was like, you know, that's what they did. And that's what we did, you know. So I still get to do that. And of course, that, that uses a lot of my skill set that I was trained to do that I don't get to do. I'm shooting a film right now, um, an independent feature. And, I, you know, I get to play a kind of like an interesting psychologist, professor kind of guy. And, you know, those are the kind of parts that I like to play. Um, but the fun thing about voice acting is that I'm, I'm, you know, as you get older, they just write less and less parts for you. And the parts that are available, you're competing against other actors who have been around this long, who are obviously good if they're still around. And um, so, you know, any one of us can play the part. It's really just a matter of choice again. Mm -hmm. And, and um, as a voice actor, I'm not typed out by my age, my race. Um, you know, I can play superheroes. I'm not physically equipped to play on camera. You know, this, this kind of thing. I was the original voice of Deadpool in the earlier games, uh, you know, uh, Ultimate Alliance and um, X-Men Legends and all those games before you know anybody else had, had conceived him uh, mm -hmm. other than in the comic books. And then, um, you know, and then, of course, I get to play things that aren't even human at all or dead humans <laughs> like the mm -hmm. Crypt Keeper or, you know, uh, Elliot and Pete's Dragon or Miko the Raccoon and Pocahontas and, you know, do these animal things. So, you know, I think that Probably I have a healthier career than than most actors my age, and and I'm and I'm, yeah. and I credit that a lot to being a voice actor. So um, I really love it. I mean, I really enjoy it. It's you know a, a different kind of pressure 
Um, it's obviously a pressure to deliver, but it's, you know, not the pressure to, to, you know, show up early and get into costume and makeup and yeah, it's something new every know, time. Um, you know? Memorize a bunch. Of, yeah. It's, it's a different thing. And, um, I enjoy them both, but, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm I not only love it and the people in the voiceover world are just, they have a, you know, they're competitive on a healthy level, the way that you would, if you were playing, you know, on, you know, fantasy football or something between each other, but we're not, it's not the same as competing for on camera work. We, we all know that there's plenty of voices for all of us and we all admire each other when we're in the room and somebody's like killing it and doing this voice and you're laughing and having a good time. I was on a series called cat dog for a number of years. Um, that was on Nickelodeon. That was a lot of fun. And we had one of the best groups. We would get together every Tuesday to record the show and we had one of the best groups of voiceover guys. We had Tom Kenny, who was, you know, his SpongeBob and, um, Jim Cummings, who, you know, does Pooh and all these other voices and, um, Carlos Alas Rocky, who, you know, was, uh, Rocco and, and the, you know, you know, the Taco Bell dog and, uh, Billy West, who of course is Ren and Stimpy and like every voice on, on Futurama, Rama mm-hmm. myself and uh, a number of other people, you know, that would come in and out, uh, Dwight Schultz, who, you know, was uh, Madman Murdoch on the A team. And, um, you know, we would get together every Tuesday and just laugh our asses off for a couple of hours and, and, um, and, you know, crank out a script. Um, and, you know, we'd do competing George Decay's or something like that. You know, like every, <laughs> somebody would just go, Oh my. And then everybody else would crack up, you know, and it was, it was just an amazing, an amazing, uh, opportunity to have that kind of, you know, to do that kind of work together with guys. It's a, it's a, it's a fun group of people. Is it, is it a little bit different now these days? Because I, you know, growing up, um, you know, in, in the eighties and nineties, a, a lot of cartoons, you know, you didn't really, they didn't pick, uh, for most part, they didn't have, you know, Hollywood actors voicing. I mean, they had a lot of voice actors, but now it seems that there's just a lot more actors that are doing voices rather than voice actors. Have you, have you encountered that? Yeah. I mean, that definitely, it's, it's, it's it's for sure affected those of us who are, well, yeah. I mean, you know, we're, I mean, let's face it, it's a marketing business. You can't blame people for wanting to, to get people to put more money behind their project or to, um, you know, to throw names around when they put it out there to get asses in the seats. It's expensive to do stuff. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes those are good choices. You know, I mean, you couldn't go wrong with, you know, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen in, in uh, Toy Story. And, you know, you couldn't go wrong as Jack Black and, you know, Kung Fu Panda or, you know, Robin Williams as the Aladdin, yeah. you know, as, uh, as the genie in Aladdin. You can't go wrong with actors like that. You know, but very often they hire people that just don't have that facility. They're fine actors. It's just a different skill set. And they could have done the, you know, I mean, there's projects that have tanked because of the cat, you know, the casting that they did and, um, how, you know, I mean, they were just boring. They didn't come to life. Well, there's there's no um, voice. It's just them, you know? Yeah. I think that's what harms the films because watching, you know, having a, you know, my daughter's 11 and we take her to cartoons. I've taken her cartoons for years, you know, movies in the theater. Mm -hmm. And the first thing, as soon as the character speaks, you know exactly who it is. And for me, I don't want to picture that person. I I want it to be unknown. I want, I want to dive into that character. I want, 
I don't want to be like, oh, you know, that's, you know, uh, I mean, Jack Black's great. You know, some of those people, they can really, you know, uh, harness and portray that character, you know, well. But for the most part, some of these just regular, you know, normal Joe Schmo actors that don't really do voice work, they're put in these movies. And you know who it exactly – it is exactly as soon as they open their mouth. Right. It's always kind of bothered me. Um so I was just curious if that's, you know, obviously that harms, you know, the voice actor work because, you know, it's easier to put that on the poster rather than, you know. Well, it's definitely, it's definitely taken away. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they also spend a lot of money on those actors, too, that they don't need to spend. You know, right. I mean, it, it, you know, it's like it's m- m- money, we, you know, I used to get for some of the, you know, lead parts that I used to do um, isn't negotiable anymore. You know, it's just like, look, we spent a crap load of money on so-and-so and you know you know your your part scale <laughs> and you're like and you and you do it because you know if the, the movie does well you know the residuals are nice you know it's nice to to make money because they're continuing to you know show your talent and make money off of it so um it works both ways for you but you know there's a lot of lead parts i used to be up for or get on you know disney movies and that kind of thing that now Unless they're especially part like, um, you know, like in the Smurfs movie, it was mostly, you know, TV stars or whoever playing the different Smurfs. And I got to play Crazy Smurf because he made a bunch of weird noises and stuff, <laughs> you know, you know, and I'm like, you know, they needed somebody could do that. So I got it. Otherwise, you know, you know, the other parts were like George Lopez and people, you know, I'm just like, um, and it was a good movie um, and I enjoyed doing it. Um, but. You know, the, uh, in a lot of those situations, I don't, don't get those parts. Um, you know, obviously, Pete's Dragon, you know, I'm doing a dragon. Not a lot of people can come in and do that. So, um, but it's you, those lead parts have gone away because they're, they try to stunt cast as many of them as they can. Um, yeah. And sometimes they won't even read you for, for stuff that, you know, you could, you could kill. But so, you know, you take, you come in and you do what they call additional voices. And you come in and do a bunch of, you know, like I was in Secret Life of Pets and I did a bunch of additional voices in it. And, um, you know, you're all over the film and you get included in residuals and stuff like that. But it's like, oh, who are you? Oh, I'm Leonard's owner. You know, in the commercial where the guy goes, uh, be a good boy, Leonard. And then the dog <laughs> turns on the stereo. That was me. And they're like, oh, OK. <laughs> nice. You know, it's like so – there it, there's definitely it definitely has changed the landscape of <laughs> uh of you know where there's a lot of the voice actors uh, you know the kind of work that yeah. um they get in some of these major features but you know there's those of us that are i mean you know still grateful for that work and and um uh you know those of us that do some of the specialty stuff whether it be creatures or animals or you know um some some crazy broad characters that kind of thing um still get to get some of those lead parts yeah. um, just based on our, our talent. Yeah. You know, Here, here's the question that I'm sure that our listeners want to know. And if you can't say mm-hmm. anything, that's fine. But <laughs> we're wondering if you've been approached about the new tales from the crypt TV series. Um, you know, they can't approach me. It's not, it's, it's, it's a matter of licensing, uh, you know, it's, I mean, they would love to have me on it. It's not a matter of that. It's the different people that are doing the gotcha. show. That's right. That's right. So they own your voice in a way they own that voice. Uh, no, it's here. Here's the deal. The, the tales from the crypt was a, a comic book and, mm. uh, you know, the gain William Gaines, when he was still alive, licensed the, the uh, franchise 
to the guys that I did Tales from the Crypt with for HBO. Mm-hmm. And those guys were Joel Silver, Walter Hill, yeah. Bob Zemeckis, David Geiler, and Richard Donner. I mean, these were some of the these were the yeah. biggest guys in the business at the time. You know, they you know it was an expensive show to do. They lost money doing it pretty much. You know, it was uh, they were able to do it on the budget that was given to them through a bunch of gymnastics and getting a lot of favors. And, you know, the, all those stars work for scale. The directors work for scale. You know, I never really got paid a crap load of money to do Tales from the Crypt. You know, um, when the movies came out, I got paid a little more. There was some advertising things they pimped the Crypt Keeper out for that I got paid for and stuff like that. So I won't say that I didn't get paid um, at all, but certainly enjoyed doing it and loved doing the show. But it was a labor of love for everybody. And then, you know, they did 93 episodes and three movies and a kid's show and a kid's cartoon and a, you know, a Christmas album and everything else that they did. And then when all was said and done, you know, the rights ran out and they didn't renew them. <clears throat> they don't renew the rights because, you know, if there's not a, a, a market or nobody's going to give them the opportunity to just bring the show back immediately, mm-hmm. there's no reason to keep spending a lot of money owning the rights. Well, when it came time to get the rights back, they had sold them off. Gaines' family, you know, William Gaines had since deceased, and his family had sold the rights to other people. And um, and that, that eventually wound up in the hands of TNT and uh, M. Night Shyamalan to do their version of Tales from the Crypt. Well, they have the rights to Tales from the Crypt as a as an as a comic book entity to do what they want with it, but they don't have the rights to the Crypt Keeper that Joel Silver and Richard yeah. Donner and Walter Hill and all these guys own. They created that Crypt Keeper special for their series. They hired Kevin Yeager, who created this great puppet, mm-hmm. and my voice was part of that. You know, so they have to come up with their own version of a gotcha. Crypt Keeper. Okay. And, you know, I I could probably do a voice for them, but I can guarantee you I would, you know, I wouldn't want to get into the legal hassle of trying right. to, you know, recreate my, you know, the voice I did for them. For that, I think it would just be a, you know, it's it's a whole thing. I mean, I don't, you know, who knows? <laughs> who knows? It could work out that the Gaines family has rights to that crypt keeper and hire us to do it. I don't know, but I doubt that'll happen that way nobody wants to go through the whole legal hassle of doing that um so this tales from the crypt is going to be something completely different it's just really you know as much different as doing twilight zone without rod serling Mm -hmm. you know when they did a different twilight zone it was called a twilight zone but it wasn't anything like the original twilight Mm -hmm. zone um and that's just the way franchises work when they're revived um you know, sadly, it's too close in our lifetime where we all remember Tales from the Crypt and the Crypt Keeper was such a such a not only iconic, but such a forward, um, you know, franchise. Uh, he was the franchise, really. Yeah. yeah. You know, he gave you the tone of the idea of what the show was about, that you could laugh at it and that it was tongue in cheek and the whole deal. They were brilliant in the way that they put that show together. And, um, you know, and of course they were very happy with, with what I did because I was able to bring my stand up kind of character to that, to him. And, um, so, you know, whether it'll be anything like the original, tell, you know, the tells from crypt that we all know and love from HBO, I, I doubt it, but it'll be, so, you know, hopefully it'll be something that's enjoyable. Right. You Is know, it, when people used to ask me if I was, yeah, go ahead. No, I was say, as long as it stands on its own and it's something enjoyable, you know, that's, that's, that's great. 
But yeah. but you know right. the, the crypt keeper though, like for me, like I was a, aware and uh, of the the crypt keeper character like before I even saw the actual show because can't remember how right. how young I was uh, when it was out. But I mean, I know that I I grew up strictly religious, so there was no way my parents were going to let me watch Tales from the Crypt on HBO. <laughs> But with the commercials and things like that. Your mother sucks cocks in hell, Karis. (laughs) (laughs) But with like the commercials and the kind of the commercial success of that character kind of popping up here and there and especially around Halloween, you know, and things like that, you know, I I was still inundated into that character before the show. So it's it's just kind of shows like how – Well, there were a lot of people were and it's – I I never would have thought. I mean, I never would have thought kids were watching this show. You know, when it was on HBO back in the day with the with the titties and the language and the horror. <laughs> yes, and the whole thing. there we and go. I'm I awake was, now. There and, we go. And the, there you go. And neither did the uh, you know neither did the tales from the crypt people or HBO or they never would have let go of the rights. You know, I was shocked to find out because I'm kind of the grassroots campaign for the show, you know, going to horror conventions because I like them and like seeing the fans and enjoying it. And all of a sudden, you know, I would go – my ex-wife was on Buffy and Angel and, you know, we would go do these conventions together and, you know, that was a lot more popular. And some people would come up and go, oh, I loved Tales from the Crypt. They go, really? You watched it? You're much too young to have been watching it. I go, no, no, no. I would sneak down and watch it. You know, I would watch it with my grandmother and, you know, it was the only show my whole family watched. And I was like, you're kidding me, you know? And so then all of a sudden these, you know, teenagers were getting into their 20s and coming to these horror conventions. And I started to realize that all these people grew up with Tales from the Crypt and were rabid about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I see more Crypt Keeper tattoos than pretty much any horror tattoo <laughs> that I see out there. And they, so some people even have me sign it and have it tattooed, which is a little – which is creepy in a good way. But it's – you know, uh, and it's – and I'm just like kind of flabbergasted by that. And now I've – you know, now of course they would love to have the rights back and, and, and bring it back to the – to the uh, uh, um, as it was. Uh, I mean look at all the new great directors and all the new great stars. And there's, you know, there were, there were 500 stories that they could choose from, from mm-hmm. the comic books. Um, you know, I mean, recently they started putting out that, you know, M Knight was looking for, you know, story ideas. I was like, dude, <laughs> the story idea should come from the comic books. That's the whole idea. Yeah. Right? They're already you there, know, man. You know, but yeah. it's, it's a marketing campaign to get people going, Oh, I want to get involved. You know what I mean? Because they know that they're, 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 they have a little bit of an uphill battle fighting, what you know what the original tales from the crypt was on hbo mm-hmm. and so they they you know they know they're in the shadow of something that was pretty spectacular and so to come up with something their first idea was to do something completely different and that was to do um more of a not an anthology series but more like an ongoing story kind of like american horror story yeah. and then realizing that's not what Tales from the Crypt was. Tales from the Crypt was an anthology series. Each one was a morality play. They were short yeah. stories. They right. were stories that, you know, had a beginning, a middle, and an end, and the end was never good. <laughs> <laughs> it was always fun, but it was never good for the characters, you know? Um, and so they realized that, but, um, you know, you don't have, you don't have the franchise. There was a lot of, horror anthologies that were done during the time of Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. Tales from the Crypt is the one that lasted because it had the Crypt Keeper as, uh, as your, you know, had, he was like your Johnny Carson. He was your Ed McMahon. He was your Alfred Hitchcock presenting mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock presents. He was, 
you know, Rod Serling, uh, you know, bringing you each week, bringing you Twilight Zone. And, um, you know, so I don't know what they would do. I don't know. Maybe they they could put Steve Buscemi in a shroud or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Tales from the crypt. Tales from the crypt, folks. (laughs) So so being on the show and – oh, go ahead, John. No, go ahead. I was that that would actually be kind of funny. Maybe we'll take that idea. <laughs> well, I was I was going to ask. Um, now, with, with doing uh, Tales from the Crypt as the Crypt Keeper, how much of that? Since you said you you know you had the stand up uh, past, and you know you know obviously an actor by itself, a voice actor. How much were you improving, and how much was that actually written for you? Those jokes and everything. Well, they had great writers. Uh, so, you I mean, I, I, it, it gave me a lot of stuff to go with. I, you know, of course, had to do constant interviews and that kind of thing. As the Crypt Keeper, I had to come up with all that stuff on my own. But um, but these guys for the show, you know, it started out with very specific, you know, ideas and lines and that kind of thing. And then, you know, like I would be in the studio after we, we started getting rolling and um, you know, the first season, the puppet's mouth didn't work very well because they didn't have as big of a budget. So Kevin's puppet didn't have as many motors in it. So you'll notice in the first season, the crypt keeper talks slower and much more ominously. And that's only yeah. because the crypt keeper's puppet mouth didn't work well, <laughs> you know. And then, of course, the show got picked up and they gave him more money to make his, you know, mouth move. And I could do my, you know, cackling, funny, you know, punchliney kind of version of him. And I would start cracking them up in the studio doing like the Crypt Keeper doing, you know, Stanley Kowalski from Streetcar Named Desire and stuff like that. And the next thing I know, they're writing those into the, you know, into the wraparounds, which was great because, you know, it just, it, you know, I mean, I think by the, the fourth season or something, you know, we had him doing Howard Stern and we had him doing, you know, John Wayne and doing stand up. You know, there's one where, you know, he's he's talking to a little audience that's just like barely laughing at him and, it's, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And so they just they just kept expanding him as they, you know, started realizing, you know, what they could do with having a stand up actor and, you know, comedian as their their voice guy. So they, you know, they just started expanding that. And Kevin Yeager is very creative in the way they shot it. And the puppeteers were amazing. What an amazing group of guys they would bring to life this puppet. Eventually, we would do interviews, and I would be off camera answering the questions, but the camera would be on the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> Puppeteers would be looking at me, and they would be like a second behind me, even because I was improvising. They'd be like just a little second behind me, but you would never notice that on camera. That's uh, how good they were. They some were of these puppeteers are, you know. are uh, incredible. Like I've, yeah, that, that's that's always because you see them kind of. They've done stuff with the Muppets recently in the past, whatever, however many years. On the in the, the Oscars, you know, having mm-hmm. these puppets come out, and uh, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, trying to keep up with somebody's, you know, <laughs> you don't know what they're going to say, but uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. I'm, I'm, I mean, puppetry seems to be one of those lost arts that's going away, and I, I really hope it continues. You know, I loved puppets. Yeah, I loved puppets as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved them on stage. I, you know, I had ventriloquist dummies. I had a collection of them. I still have, I'm looking at one right now in my office, <laughs> you know, he's staring at me and, um, you know, uh, it's, you know, I keep some under the bed. My wife doesn't like that, but, um, <laughs> they're in a box, they're in a box, honey. <laughs> but, um, 
I, I always love puppet. I, you know, I mean, the whole thing, the whole idea of doing, um, you know, animation for me and voices came from me animating things that weren't real, right. you know, and that was came from started out with puppetry. Um, you know, I remember uh, just uh, one of my classmates now on Facebook, you get to keep in touch with all your high school friends and stuff. And they were talking about how like when we were in elementary school, I had made a paper mache version of Templeton and the Rat. And we did, you know, Charlotte's Web as a, a puppet show. And I was like, yeah, that was like, you know, that's really where I started. Hmm. You know, my buddies and I used to do the my my buddy Fred and I used to do the morning announcements for on in high school and crack everybody up doing voices and you know the following morning announcement brought to you by a grant from the mobile corporation <laughs> you know we would do like all kinds of you know out there kind of stuff um i'm gonna have to wrap it up soon because i gotta run out to an audition in the holly weird yep i have to uh head back to work <laughs> <laughs> wow so, yeah go back I'm to glad, you guys got a job you guys got jobs oh yeah yeah yeah, this, we, this podcast, jobs. this podcast, uh, costs me more money than it should. The Screamcast brought to you by a grant from the Mobile Corporation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much for for spending some time with us and talking about your career. Um, it, it, you know, it's uh, I'm geeking out a little bit talking to you because it's just one of those things. I've heard your heard your voice and so many different things, and you know, it's great to, to be able to talk to you about your career. So, thank I'm you. I'm very sweaty right now. <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, thank you, kitties. I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, just because I said the word tits, I think maybe broke out into a sweat. Yeah, I but think that's thank you, Brad and Sean and the Screamcast. Yeah. Uh, all right, I can. I don't think you can uh, choose a better ending than that. Thanks, John. No. <laughs> thank you, guys. want to thank all of you for checking out our show today. I hope you guys enjoyed the uh, the interview with John Kassir. Please check out our sponsors. Go to scream, thescreamcast.com slash sponsors. Check out everyone on there. Most notably, uh, Coffee Shop of Horrors. I uh, just got some samples in to give away. So we'll be uh, promoting them in the next few weeks here, getting some uh, doing a giveaway. Uh, so check out Coffee Shop of Horrors. Check out grindhousevideo.com. Please buy all your stuff as much as you can through them. Um, and, uh, of course, Wolfman of Mars for providing the music and Kevin Spencer for providing the art. And then, of course, Vinegar Syndrome. We'll be doing a Vinegar Syndrome show very soon. Um, so please check out all their releases. And with that, we'll talk to all of you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. How did you just begin?